Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a phenomenal group of people who are going to take us through Act 4 of Hamlet, led, facilitated, directed, guided by Emma Rosa Went. Hello, I'm back. Uh, Act 4, ahoy. It's madness, it's offstage piracy, it's all the chickens coming home to roost. Here we go. Um, without too much preamble, if you are ready to rock, Claudius and Gertie, let's, uh, let's leap into 4-1. Where is your son? Oh, mine own lord. What have I seen tonight? What? Gertrude, how does Hamlet? Mad as the sea and wind when both contend which is the mightier. In his lawless fit behind the heiress, hearing something stir, whips out his rapier, cries, a rat, a rat, and in this brainish apprehension kills the unseen good old man. Oh, heavy deed. It had been so with us had we been there. His liberty is full of threats to all, to you yourself, to us, to everyone. Alas, how shall this bloody deed be answered? Where is he gone? To draw apart the body he hath killed. He weeps for what is done. Oh, Gertrude, come away. The sun no sooner shall the mountains touch, but we shall ship him hence, and this vile deed we must with all our majesty and skill both countenance and excuse. Ho! Guildenstern. Hmm? Friends both. Go join you with some further aid. Hamlet in madness hath Polonius slain, and from his mother's closet hath he dragged him. Go seek him out, speak fair, and bring the body into the chapel. I pray you, hasten this. Uh -huh. Come, Gertrude. We'll call up our wisest friends and let them know both what we mean to do. Oh, come away. My soul is full of discord and dismay. Okay. Pursuing immediately on the heels of Act 3. It's interesting because we spent time earlier in the play talking about the timeline, talking about the, you know, but so much of it has like single episode of television style, you know, storytelling logic that is really streamlined and is like, okay, this led immediately to this, this led immediately to this, and now we're here in the immediate aftermath of the violence. Um, oof, mad is the sea and wind when both contend which is the mightier. So, Claudius Gertie, um, picking up your respective threads from last night, anything to throw into the pot here right from the jump? I have one thing what? which is mad is the sea and wind when both contend which is the mightier. That to me signals mm -hmm. that she's talking about anger, not madness. I don't know hmm. why, but to me, it's like she's telling a half truth somehow. There, there's the name of Gertrude's game. I think it turns out. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I mean, I realize like tend as as the verb. Yeah, yeah. I realize mm. like the sea and wind could be mad, as in totally crazy. But there, there's something mm. to that image to me that is like about power and force and yeah. Tempestuousness. Yeah. Mm. Nice word. Um, totally. Just, and yeah, go. I was just wondering, it just dawned on me. I'm looking for Hamlet. I didn't realize I didn't yes. see him when he came into my, my bedroom while I was praying. And now I'm <laughs> looking for him. Um, and I don't know. Claudius has been killed, but I'm probably for, yes. Wait, what play is this? Um, oh, but I don't but know. He, where am I? I don't, I don't know if Polonius has been killed. Right. But so he did. I'm, I I will say I uh, he did um, set like say, oh, Hamlet should talk to his mom 
after the play, before the play even happened. Oh, that's a good point. And yeah. then Poloni, and then Polonius was having that. Like I assume that Polo, he he sent Polonius to watch in. Polonius you know? sent himself, right? That's Polonius right. and Claudius had that conversation where Polonius was like, "He's going to go talk to his mom. I will go hide behind the thing." Mm-hmm. And Claudius was like, "Okay, you know, <laughs> Godspeed." And so, right. So, if this is immediately after the violence in Gertrude's closet that we've just seen at the end of Act Three, this is Claudius coming in to be like, "Okay, where is he? My turn. We have to have a word or whatever." And then. Right. And we don't even get into the how did it go that you think you're going to the conversation you think you're going to have because he killed a man in front of me is not a pretty good indication of how the talk went, I'd assume. Yes. Yes. Hmm. And something I I think I think Isabel's trying to say something, but I can't go, 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 babe. Can't hear her. It's also very possible that the yelling was heard by you know like there's a lot of yelling in the last scene um and if you kind of imagine sort of a suite of rooms castle style there's it's like it's like a little apartment sort of set off of a hallway so if we imagine that Claudius has has been praying in his own little room in the apartment and then Gertrude and Hamlet are in their different room in the apartment um and I I think one of the things that's interesting about the bad cordo the first cordo which i don't think is bad um was that hamlet locks the door when he goes into gertrude's closet he locks it behind him that's mm. i also did 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 it get pointed out yesterday that um hamlet knows he's going to england in the last scene yes that so that got touched on yeah yeah, he knows he's going to England, right? Because um, because Gertrude, he mentions it to Gertrude and Gertrude is like, oh my God, I forgot <laughs> at the end of the previous scene. Yeah. Well, the and, got, like the decision just got made. Like, after how, the play, yes. How did, like, yeah, did Ham, I mean, did Hamlet find out from some messenger? It's interesting because that information is relayed off stage, but, well, no, or is it, Ooh, yeah, no, it is relayed off stage. It must be because the substance of the Hamlet Rosencrantz Guildenstern conversation at the end of Act Three is different. Yeah, no, we don't we don't see him find out, right? No, and it's it's first mentioned at the end of the Ophelia after the nunnery scene, which is interesting because I actually think there's a strong indication there that Hamlet does not fully he's listening just as everyone else has been listening um which means that hamlet might also hear that that ophelia speech as well Mm, that's interesting okay and the other things that i want to kind of uplift out of this gertrude claudius conversation are just that this is you receiving in real time the confidential information that polonius has just been murdered and claudius's first response is basically like fuck, this is a PR nightmare (laughs) that I now have to deal with, with all of my skill, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is interesting and intense. And that, of course, like that Shakespeare shows you receiving the information so that we can watch you go, okay, how do I handle this? How do I spin this? How do I keep Mm -hmm. this? How do I keep this a secret? You know? Yeah. He's detail oriented. (laughs) His yeah. first response is is also, oh shit, I would be dead if this had been me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Self-centered. He, he well, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, like, is that is that to Gertrude or is that an aside? How, you know, how how could we play that out? But um The yeah, like, just there, it had been so with like, us. Yeah, yeah. Is, mm-hmm. Like what's the realization of just like, yeah, he he definitely wants to kill me. Right. And the thing about that. 
because Gertrude is also not a moron. The thing about that that I wanted to bring back in is I like woke up this morning thinking about Gertrude's language about when Hamlet says, as kill a king and marry with his brother and Gertrude says, as kill a king and Hamlet says, I, it was my word. Like the fact that we didn't get, we didn't linger on it very much last night, but the fact that Hamlet makes pretty explicit in the previous scene, what he thinks happened to his father. And Gertrude echoes the language and sits with it. And obviously the conversation doesn't end up being about that because Hamlet's going like stone cold bananas and there's a dead guy on the floor. But Gertrude has that in her head now, right? Like once that egg has been cracked, we can't uncrack it. And this is the first time, obviously we see Hamlet, we see Claudius and Gertrude in the space together again. I don't know. What do you think about that, Ariana? I think it's really notable that she doesn't go into the details at all of what they talked about. I feel like if she wanted to contextualize the killing of Polonius, she very easily could have. Right. The fact that she only gives Claudius the information he needs to know, which is um, your advisor has been horribly, brutally slaughtered, is notable and and that then she's silent for the rest of the scene um, and has no response. And I know I've definitely seen, because he says, come on, Gertrude, like multiple times, <laughs> I've definitely seen quite a few productions where like she doesn't go with him the first time, like he's trying to exit yeah. and then, you know, and I think that's yeah. an interesting choice. I mean, I, I, I feel like the physical thing would need to be found out in rehearsal, in the rehearsal process. But it is to me an interesting choice. There is this repeated yeah. language of like, come with me. Come on. Come on, bitch. Over here. You know, like there's something like, why, why does he have to say yeah. it so many times? Which is interesting to me. It just, that just jumped out. Totally. Totally. And then here come Rose uh, and Gill. Dudes, no language. Can you grab the body? Great. They Thank come you. in. See you later. Bye. Thank you so much. Hey, Could look, you just handle uh, that the murder? Just snag the bod. You're fine. We try to talk. We're just so taken off guard <laughs> by what the fuck's going on. <laughs> <laughs> just a Scooby Doo style. I <laughs> mean, it's just honestly like we've. I we're just haunted by Stafford. It's just so hard to even <laughs> deal with their presence in scenes where they're silent without <laughs> thinking about the fact that like actually they're in a play where they are having a whole other existential crisis about not even knowing like what their identity is and if they're different from each other or not and why they're even here and then they walk into this room and someone's like could you pick up that body and they're like I <laughs> like I'm sorry what so what's happening now I'm sorry what now just but it is it's just so interesting that it's you it's like I keep thinking about how we like met people in act one who are other, I mean, I know they're guards and they're not like, you know, castle people, but like, it's just weird that the, the picking up the slack sort of like almost service positions end up occupied by Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who are guests here and are like not involved in this tangle at all. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. So we'll call up our wisest friends and let them know both what we mean to do. Oh, come away. My soul is full of discord and dismay. I have to, I, I have to ask. Um, yes. The line and let them know both what we mean to do. Is there a line that was cut? Am I referring? Is there a second thing in that list? Or is it we let, let, the, let them know what the both of us mean to do? I think 
my, I, I don't know what the other line would be, but while Isabel finds it, but my read of that would be because it's a plural them, let them know, like our two, our, we'll call up our wisest friends and let them know both what we mean to do, like as in let both of them know what we mean to do. No, there's there. I'm sorry. There is a line. Coming. But uh, is there? We'll call up our wisest friends and let them know both what we mean to do and what's untimely done. Got it. I was going to say, like, do, does that mean we have two wise friends? <laughs> That's all. Let, let, now that let, Polonius is dead. You're down you know, to two. It's, it's, it's a quality, not a quantity question. Um, so let them know both what, so what we mean to do and that Polonius has been murdered. Okay. So is there, is that this in rehearsal would be one of the infamous conversations that I end up having with every single person here at some point or another, which is, can I buy back a line? <laughs> well, I, well, I, I mean, I was going to say the the absence of that line could, 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 you know, in, in our dream production, give credence to Ariana's, a uh, wonderful stage direction of just like, and you know, it's sort of a trail off mid thought of just like, are you coming? Let's go. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to say that, um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever tried to cut all of Hamlet down into a performable chunk. It must but be at, easy, but, yeah. But at a certain, you know, in this play is so good that like every line is like, oh, this hurts me deep in my soul. Um, but it hurts more so, than like, other plays. These, yeah. And so like these weird little cuts start happening because it's like, I can lose this one line <laughs> and it's in, and I've cut so much Shakespeare and this is the only play in which I was just like losing single lines. Um, yeah. Just because it has to get shorter to be performable for modern audiences, but it's so hard to make it shorter. I had a, I was in a company once where it was like, you can buy back a line only if you cut something else of yours, which I thought was like, I was just not it's expecting the, that at all. <laughs> it's the one in one out approach. Honestly, I I have had to I have had to have that conversation yeah. with many actors before because <laughs> the 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 justification for the buyback can always be made. So at a certain point, you have to be like, well, which of your children would you like to sacrifice on the yes. altar of this coming in under two hours, bitch? Yeah. Um, but if you're gonna make a withdrawal. Uh, you gotta put in a deposit was the way it was exactly said which is so yeah hilarious. exactly or know, my favorite comp to... oh no go ahead go babe ahead. <laughs> well, I, I was just gonna, gonna say, say or I, my <laughs> I, I was going to say I, I know Talk that I know that I tend to take my time enough on stage so that if I want to buy back one line Emma makes me cut two well um, I, or my favorite compromise which is or you can do everything 25% faster <laughs> which, which is which, which, which I usually respond with game on yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay, here we are. Gertrude knows some shit, but we're still figuring out where we are. Claudius receives some bad news. It's a bad day at the office. Rolling on for two. Safely stowed. Hamlet. Hamlet? Lord Hamlet. Hamlet. Lord Hamlet. Oh, Hamlet. Hamlet. <clears throat> what have you done, my lord? with the dead body. Compounded it with dust where to tis kin. Mm-hmm. Tell us where tis that we may take it thence and bear it to the chapel. Do not believe it. Uh, believe what? That I can keep your counsel and not mine own. Besides, to be demanded of a sponge, what replication should be made by the son of a king? Take you me for a sponge, my lord? I, sir, that soaks up the king's countenance, his rewards, his authorities. When he needs what you have gleaned, it is but squeezing you, and, sponge, you shall be dry again. 
I understand you not, my lord. I'm glad of it. A knavish speech sleeps in a foolish ear. My lord, <laughs> you must tell us where the body is and go with us to the king. The body is with the king, but the king is not with the body. The king is a thing, a thing my lord, of nothing. Bring me to him. Trolls on trolls on trolls on trolls. <laughs> troll 3D. Trolls 3D. <laughs> now double troll. Um, oh my God, you guys. Rosengill, talk to me about your situation. <laughs> you know, uh, we were sent to get a body. We came yeah. on a vacation to see our friend. <laughs> and now I guess we're getting bodies. I mean, he yeah. straight up murdered somebody. Our friend killed somebody else. Yeah. Our friend killed his girlfriend's dad. Oh, yeah. And now we have to uh, get the body. I uh, get the body. Um, yeah, I mean, truly. After our yeah. last interaction where Hamlet was like, you're a recorder. I'm going to kill you with a recorder. It's like, I don't know if I want to hang out with this guy anymore. Like, that was kind of it for me. And now it's like, oh, just stop by, find that body, and then maybe move on with your life. I feel like I'm a little worried for my own life. Yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. He's clearly killing people now. He doesn't like us. He doesn't oh, like yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I love that in that scene previous, the, the text that you receive and get no response given for yourselves yeah. is... Hamlet in madness hath Polonius slain and from his mother's closet hath he dragged him. <laughs> seek, seek him out, speak fair, bring the body to the chapel. So yeah, I mean, the idea of you truly trolling us all by taking those instructions to the letter of the law to that degree of like, we've talked about them approaching Hamlet with sort of kid gloves before and going like, hey, buddy. <laughs> But now that he is confirmed a murderer. <laughs> like, killer. Oh, confirmed a killer. Also, where is the body? And like in a minute, we're going to have a little like this is now turned into like a rollicking game of where's the corpse in the castle? <laughs> because it's just like and in a minute, we're going to get into that horrible joke. I mean, I know we ended yesterday about talking about Hamlet's. This is a horrifying act. It's like an egregious horrifying act. And the distancing that happens with with using humor in order to I don't know what but to create distance I suppose but the in a minute we're gonna get the joke about like follow your nose because it's gonna start to stink and that's how you play a rollicking game of find the body in the castle so like it's getting <laughs> macabre up in here oh yeah I mean I feel like Rosencrantz is talking the whole scene so that Guildenstern can have a physical bit about looking around for the body <laughs> yeah Oof. Or just like won't even enter the room, <laughs> just like this by the door. Like, uh, uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, yeah. Rosencrantz is yeah. That's totally it. Somebody is doing some discreet sort of yeah, peeking under the. Yeah, I feel like in the very zany slapstick version, there's like a scuffle before Rosencrantz speaks, <laughs> where like Guildenstern like pushes him forward and like uh, that falls to him to figure it out. I don't know. Honestly, I'm a villain right now. He's crazy. I mean, fair. I think fair, fair, fair. We're going to get into more people who uh, see it from that perspective in this act. So let's follow our noses, if you will forgive, further into 4-3. Now, Hamlet, where is Polonius? At supper. At supper. Where? Not where he eats, but where he has eaten. 
A certain convocation of politic worms are in at him. Your worm is your only emperor for diet. We fat all creatures else to fat us, and we fat ourselves for maggots. Your fat king and your lean beggar is but variable service. Two dishes, but to one table. That's the end. Alas, alas. A man may fish with the worm that hath et of a king and eat of the fish that hath fed of that worm. What dost thou mean by this? Nothing but to show you how a king may go a progress through the guts of a beggar. Where is Polonius? In heaven. Send thither to see. If your messenger find him not there, seek him in the other place yourself. But if indeed you find him not within this month, you shall nose him as you go up the stairs into the lobby. Go, seek him there. I will stay until you come. Hamlet, this deed, for thine especial safety, which we do tender as we dearly grieve for that which thou hast done, must send thee hence with fiery quickness. Therefore, prepare thyself. The bark is ready and everything is bent for England. For England? Aye, Hamlet. Good. So is it, if you knew our purposes. I see a cherub that sees them, but come for England. Farewell, dear mother. Thy loving father, Hamlet. My mother. Father and mother is man and wife. Man and wife is one flesh. And so, my mother, come for England. Follow him at foot. Tempt him with speed aboard. Delay it not. I'll have him hence tonight. And England, if my love thou holdst it aught, thou mayst not coldly set aside our letters, which imports at full the present death of Hamlet. Do it, England. For like the hectic in my blood he rages. And thou must cure me. Okay, sneak attack, one of my favorite scenes in the play. Um, it is a law there, order inter interrogation. It slaps. But also, weirdly, it's an interrogation from both sides. Or I think one of the most dramatically exciting things about this scene is that from afar, from a distance, Claudius and Hamlet have been keeping eyes on each other for the whole play until now. And I really think this is like absolute electric eye contact cards on the table scene. I think this is one of the scenes that would be the most kinetic and sort of fun to stage in real life, actually. Just because there's something about like, and I mean, you end the, you end the scene by telling us you're gonna have him killed, you know? And that's fucking massive. And I don't know how long you've been sitting on that idea that particular idea, but like, I mean, because he only killed Polonius half an hour ago, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah. it feels concurrent in the evening because we've been tracking through act four so far, you know, where's the body? You go get him. Where's the body? Here's Hamlet. Where'd you put it? Okay. You know, it's all the same evening. And this scene, it's like the final crazed adrenaline burst of that kind of jester freedom that we were talking about hamlet right except for with like the sick underbelly of now you've killed a man but like the something about the energy of two people looking at each other who know what each other has done you know what i mean i feel like this is the scene dramatically where where you really show conclusively the penny dropping where we both sort of have the measure of each other and we know what each other's done and now it's really just sort of game on you know it's intense and gross. Also this, I want to hear from Julia about this language, this language about 
you know, the worms and about the fact, the weird equalizing force of death, the fact that a worm will eat a beggar and a king indiscriminately, the way that a king can go a progress through the guts of a beggar. That's language that recurs strongly in in the in the gravedigger scene in five one, we come back to language about death being sort of equalizing like that in a similar way. And it's just like, I wondered if you can speak about your feelings about if you have any observations about that language. I mean, yeah, I think it's it's very uh, you know, this play feels like that to me. You know, it's very Hamlet, it's very this play, but also like I think in this situation, it feels to me like an acknowledgement of like, all right you wanted to be king. These are the things that you have to deal with. But at the end of this, whatever happens to me, you will be dead. It, 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 it's a threat for, for me, yeah. at least. It feels like, obviously, like we've said, like, I don't want to, ju- I'm, I'm not here to justify death Polonius. Um, I'm just here to sort of like provide perhaps a pathway that yeah. makes it feel more like a person making choices and less like a, a psychopath, just like, not giving a damn about death because I think like, obviously I think he's very affected by it. And like in the moment with the adrenaline, I think the disappointment of it not being Claudius and the sort of like, like if you, if you want to talk about Hamlet as being a snowball effect, I think that it's only a snowball effect in that he like initially doesn't realize that there will be other casualties, I think. And does not intend for there to be other casualties. Yes. And when Polonius dies, he's just sort of like, there's like a kind of horrible piece of like, I'm going to have to, I, this isn't just a mission of justice. Like, this isn't just like, I kill this man and then my father and I are both at peace. And then like, I suddenly become popular and take the throne and like my whole life falls into place. It's, it's a moment of, I'm not going to get to him without making some like you know doing the thing that I said to Ophelia which is like I can't go back you know um and so I think that this this language about worms and yeah it it can can only be a threat and obviously he's trying to be like it would be weird if he came in and was crying and was like I didn't mean to do it like that doesn't he, he he's playing poker at this point with Claudius and putting his actual feelings on the table doesn't serve anyone yeah, and I think I think what you landed on just there is helpful because it's both things. It's that the language about death gets really physical and forensic and gross because death is a fact now. It's not like an abstract idea, it's a real fact in the play. And now we're we're off on like a, we're off on this journey that is going to include more death. But also the idea of it containing or still a pretty adrenalized active threat, I think is right. I think there's a lot of energy of like, okay, well, you wanted to be king? Kings end up in the worms anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and I think also the language of this too, and, and the way that the, you know, the previous scene was, it mm-hmm. feels very much to me like he's not hiding Polonius because he doesn't think he's going to get caught. No. It's, it's, you know, great, like removes it from Gertrude's room and is like, oh fuck, what do I do with this body? And then it's sort of like- Broom closet. (laughs) The only, the only way, yeah, the only way perhaps I'll get an audience with Claudia, like maybe he'll look me straight in the face and talk to me if I like dangle his 
like the the corpse of his former like aide in front of him. Like now he's going to talk to me. That's like that's it. what he says at the end. He's like, I won't tell you where the body is until you bring me to him. I think that's why he lies to Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, and blows them off is that we're, t- we're trying to talk to Claudius at this point. I totally agree. I think that's right. Um, to that end, I wanted to make a small textual offering, which is that I think um, <laughs> Claudius shouting at go seek him there after you toss off, uh, you'll smell him on the stairs on the way up to the lobby. That following line, oh, we'll stay till you come. I think is a, I think the uh is he, as in the, the really dark joke of, yeah, he'll stay till you get there. <laughs> he can't run, he's dead. Which is, again, upsetting. And it's, I'm, I like, by noting how upsetting the Polonius jokes are, I like, yes, it's gross, but also, like, I think the invitation is to serve them with relish. You know what I mean? I think the invitation is to toss them off with a lot of weird relish because that's just where we are now and that's how we're doing business. You know, I think that's right. I think we have to lean into it. So, Claudius, the bark is ready. This whole, this whole sending him to England thing, does feel like it's progressed really quickly. The ship is ready now. Didn't you have the idea after dinner today? Yeah, I had the idea. Isn't after that I don't today. know. I wonder I mean I wonder if I decided to to I, I feel like I would have decided to make it tonight mm. after the play. Yeah. Um I wonder when you know there's a question to be asked of timing of like when when did I decide to add in the letter BT dubs you're killing him. And I, you know, I, I wonder if, I, I wonder if, if there was something in, if it, it was, it, could it have been in response to the fact that I could not find, I couldn't pray, I couldn't find forgiveness, therefore mm. I have to. I think, I think the the Act Three scene where where Claudius can't pray is his is a a turning point down a path he can't return from because he realizes he's <laughs> damned and he needs to. He really like he really needs to go into his end game. So, so to speak. So that's moving all the pieces so that Hamlet is out of the way forever and he can actually, sec- and he can fully secure his claim. So I think it's not unreasonable. To, I think it might not be unreasonable to say that, that, you know, getting Hamlet, getting Hamlet dead and out of the way at the end of three, at the, at the end of Oh My Offenses rank um, mm-hmm. is, is uh is in there but but, it could have happened it could have happened in between that scene and or it could have happened in between the discovery of Polonius's death Mm -hmm. I I co-sign that as an ingredient I think it's like I think I think it would it works in retrospect of like the feeling there after all my offenses rank and now he's killed Polonius and so it's like okay well I already wanted to kill him so (laughs) like I think it's the two things in tandem. I think that makes sense. I think that tracks of like, once you get the news, it's the, then it's like, okay, well, fuck it. I'm already on this path. He, yeah. he has to go. Yeah. That, this that, is the that, move. This is the yeah. only move. He forced my hand. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was an option before and now, and now it's the only option. Yeah. Right. And in a way it's a relief. I feel like to feel like the hand is forced of like, okay, well now I don't have to like sit around and worry about what this kid is going to do. Like, yeah. And that that's, I mean, he did that, it. He stabbed a guy. My... He has to go. Yeah. And I, I think it, I think it might give me the upper hand in the scene. I, I mean, I, I figure mm-hmm. Hamlet is probably on the same level as me, thinking, you know, you know, mm. there's the question of like, so Hamlet knows that Claudius did it. Yep. <laughs> no, okay. Hamlet knows that Claudius did it. Claudius knows that Hamlet killed Polonius. Yep. And Claudius knows 
that Hamlet knows he killed he killed a king. Now yeah. you know how how much how much how much does either one want to want to show their hand? I mean, I also think um like obviously you're more than free to disagree with me here, but um I also think like this scene feels like a promise of like if if you like you know it's Hamlet's promise of like I'm gonna kill you. And it's sort of like, if you if you don't kill me first kind of thing. I wonder if there's like a part of that that is like, neither can live while the other survives. You this know, is, like, this is the, okay, we this both is it. One of us, yeah. yeah. This is I, the and, we both know what we know moment. Yeah. Yes. yes. It, my question to that is what, how does, th- how does that in this scene, which I also agree with you, Julia, that that's here, that, that the, that sort of, um, you know, being at an impasse is there for both of us. Hmm. How does that then transition to the almost convivial tone between Hamlet and Claudius in the final scene? Because that's because he because he didn't succeed because Hamlet's not dead, mm-hmm. and because I, I can't admit that I and because he can't admit that he tried to have him. Yeah, dead. what's he supposed to say? Like if Hamlet walks in the door and he's like, "Oh, you're supposed to be dead," like that doesn't work. But right, I think right, also right. like. What you said earlier works for it. What everyone was saying earlier during the the Gertrude Claudius scene too is that like his first thought is like, oh my god, that could have been me, you know. And so like even if, yeah, it's it's this scene is so much for me the like fulcrum of mm-hmm. of the rest. Like it's like all right, now we gotta go, we gotta go really go. And and I think Hamlet knows it too, and that's why in addition to like him being paranoid and suspicious and you know full of <laughs> confusion and and paranoia i also you know, want to he's like uh, all right he's not just going to send me away to england to like have a good time i want to offer too that in the language something that struck me was claudius coming out of verse here on page uh 116 hamlet this deed for thine especial safety you know for england for england i hamlet good is I think could be a whole shared line, couldn't it? For England, for England, I Hamlet good. It looks like, it feels like there's an opportunity for that to be, to me, it suggests that really sexy line finishing thing of people doing like high stakes, like high poker tension of for England, for England, I Hamlet good. Boom, 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 boom. Like don't let any air escape in there. And that tells you how tense the scene is, right? Of just like, that is like, high fucking you can't slide a card in between any of that text that is fucking tense so that's hot that's hot and weird as we yeah. say that's hot and weird i i guess i guess they are on an even footing yeah. because hamlet it's a, doesn't it's a verse hit. sorry baby yeah uh uh it, it, it does put them on even footing that hamlet that hamlet knows claudius doesn't know that he knows that he intends to send him to england right everything is bent for england for england i hamlet good yeah yeah and, and I think, and I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, it makes sense for the last, the last beat of the line to be for Hamlet to say good, because yeah. that puts Claudius on the back foot where he has to say like, yeah, yeah, it is good. Yeah. And, and because, you know, it's, it's also Hamlet's like, cool. Yeah. I've been expecting you to send me to England. Mm-hmm. Your move. That's, that's good. Cause like I'm going to England. Yeah. And it's like, He's all good. right. Well, it's, good it's because such, you're going. Yeah. Yeah. It's such stepdad business, but also it's like, it's what a terrifying thing of like, okay, I've got to get him out of here or he's going to kill me. And then you say, well, okay, well, you're being sent to England. And he's like, okay. 
I could also, still kill you from England. And th- and then all- as soon as he leaves, it's like God, God, thank God he's gonna get he's gonna get killed. He's, he's also dead. though, he's, he's also dead. also though, we wonder like it's no wonder why Hamlet is smart enough to understand what Claudius is about to do and then rewrite the letters and you know end up killing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern instead or whatever. Because the thing here of for England, for England, I Hamlet good. This line, so is it, if thou knewst our purposes is an incredibly unveiled threat that the rejoinder of, okay, good. Well, yeah, it is good if you knew, good you if you knew what good. we were up to. You don't yeah. know how good. You know, it's like, that's, it doesn't, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a fucking genius. Like, that's really, like, the blades are out. It's a really naked moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to see how, yeah. I want to see, I want to see what happens if you actually play it like that. You know what I mean? Like, if we actually go there and stare down the barrel and let that happen of like, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is going to be good. You wait and see how good it is. And just like, see, you know, like, tell him you're going to kill him. Like, I don't know. It's just, it feels like such knives out language. And it, I was also just thinking, it's so, like, Hamlet obviously also being super public about this, this murder. Yeah. is causing Claudius to have to make some really serious decisions about him. Or it's just sort of like, okay, do we want to cover this up? Like the more, ha- the more public Hamlet goes with everything, the more, pu- the more likely Hamlet's going to stand up there and say, Hey, Claudius killed, um, Claudius killed my father, like in a public place. Like the more public it is, the wor- the like more frightening. And yeah. also this scene like all of the other scenes that we've seen with them, Claudius has to do this like kingly face and be like, I'm your stepfather and I want you to be well. And Gertrude's there. Right. And now they're sort of like, at last we are alone, (laughs) you know, like. Literally, literally that's, literally that's it though. And I think that in the broad way that we've been talking about, like everything that serves you about the antic disposition, like Isabel was saying last night, like it's so brilliant for your purposes. This scene is a really good, microcosm of the fact that like everything that you do in this scene I would argue is to make Claudius's life as uncomfortable as possible and so I think that's what the jokes are for I think that's what when Claudius is a room is in the room I think the jokes are for him like the unstableness of like yeah what am I gonna do next who am I gonna tell what am I gonna you know yeah and you're right that you're forcing his hand really into making some huge decisions really quickly without having time to think about them very much. Yeah, and and in order to have those types of things, he has to like, he can't be having, he can't be like having all of his advisors, whoever's left that I haven't stabbed um, with him for these. These are decisions that he has to make on his own. And I think that's the thing of like, all right, this is, a, this is, this is us, which is that I make, I do all of my decision-making alone. I have sworn three people to secretly and I have taken in no one else. I've left Mm -hmm. the love of my life behind. I've left my childhood friends behind. Like, are you willing to make that same sacrifice as we go to the end here? Sort of, yeah. And it's like that thing of the walls, the walls closing in. That's just what I like about the play is that as we kind of funnel down to the sort of sharp point of the ending is what it feels like, even though we have some life to live before then, it's still... It's like there's the field narrows just to these two people. And it's like, yeah, well, this is what the story is. So, so yeah, high stakes decision-making really quickly. And also now we're both murderers. And maybe that means that we look at each other a little differently because sure. now we're both, now we're both the murderers in the play and we're the only people who know what that feels like. I, I think yes to that. And I think that the realization Claudius's realization that Hamlet intended to kill him 
sort of makes sort of like gives him freedom in dealing with Laertes later on. In the in, in, mm. in I, I think it gives him this bit of like I think I think it makes him examine Laertes a little more closely to to realize he's not going to kill me. It's not because he knows it's not going to give him what he wants, but like it, it makes him a little a little braver in dealing with that challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it introduces well now there's just this thing in the air of like, okay, well, naked threat has been unleashed. So anyone walking into a room at this point, you sort of have to assess the likelihood that they're going to kill you <laughs> or that they might try. Something I just wanted to say, Patrick, because mm-hmm. what you just said really resonated that there is this thing. Um, <laughs> it actually came up in the King John tabling of like, you know, it's like this old New York saying, like, you don't need to worry about the people on the subway who are screaming. It's like the people who are quiet, who you need to worry about. Right. It's like the someone who is who is super passionate, like Laertes, is, is going to be weirdly less of a threat than someone as unpredictable as Hamlet. You know, that, that, that there's something really interesting there. Totally. Okay, so now this decision has been made. Do it in England. And I also just really like how physical this language is. Patrick, like the hectic in my blood, he rages and thou must cure me. Like the, the naming of Hamlet as like, this is my illness. Like he's like a disease in my blood, you know? And I don't know. I mean, we've had language in this play about like the way that you poisoned old Hamlet, the way, the way that he died, you know, all of his like blood curdling in his body or some shit. And I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of really physical... Elsa and I were having a conversation earlier today about how there's almost no weather in this play and how Shakespeare plays are usually so full of language about like nature and weather and how like insular and indoors it is. And it occurred to me that what it's full of instead is language about what happens in the body. Yes, I know. I also noticed that. Yeah, there's so much body language instead of world language. I don't know. It's just interesting. So that's just another one where it feels really visceral and like gross. And it speaks to, again, now that you're alone, how it actually feels underneath the carapace of whatever you're presenting. Your blood, is, there's a hectic in your blood and it's raging. Okay. Really good Let's, observation, UNLs. <laughs> we were just having a, like you do, conversation with our <laughs> coffee this morning about how there's not a lot of nature in this play. Um, so yeah, but there are a lot of bodies and it's weird. Um, Let's move forward and meet the foreign threat that's been closing in this whole time. Our boy, our boy from Norway. 4-4, four, four. take it away, Fort and Russ. Go, Captain. From me, greet the Danish king. Tell him that by his license, Fort and Russ craves the conveyance of a promised march over his kingdom. You know the rendezvous. If that his majesty would alter with us, we shall express our duty in his eye. And let him know so. I will do it, my lord. Go softly on. Good sir, whose powers are these? They are of Norway, sir. How purposed, sir, I pray you. Again, some part of Poland. Who commands them, sir? Nephew to old Norway, Fortinbras. Goes it against the main of Poland, sir, or for some frontier? Truly, to speak, and with no addition, we had to gain a little patch of ground that hath in it no profit but name, to pay five ducats. Five. I would not farm it. I humbly thank you, sir. God be with you, sir. Well, please you go, my lord. I'll be with you straight. Go a little before. 
how all occasions do inform against me and spur my dull revenge. What is a man if his chief good and market of his time be but to sleep and feed? A beast no more. Sure, he that made us with such large discourse looking before and after gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. Now, whether it be bestial oblivion or some craven scruple of thinking too precisely on the event, a thought which cornered hath but one part wisdom and ever three parts coward. I do not know why yet I live to say this things to do, since I have cause and will and strength and means to do it. Examples gross as earth exhort me. Witness this army of such mass and charge led by a delicate and tender prince whose spirit with divine ambition puffed makes mouths at the invisible event, exposing what is mortal and unsure to all that fortune, death, and danger dare even for an eggshell. How stand I then that have a father killed, a mother stained, excitements of my reason and my blood, and let all sleep while to my shame I see the imminent death of 20,000 men that for a fantasy and trick of fame go to their graves like beds. From this time forth, my thoughts be bloody or nothing worth. Okay. Fortinbras in the house. Fortinbras and Norway. And it's actually such a shock. It's such a weird and interesting dramatic choice, isn't it? That this play feels so insular and so like it's these same five people in a house but coming back to this thing that Isabel mentioned yesterday about like we've had this thing of the foreign threat as a concept and it keeps interrupting in the play with enough regularity that you remember that it's there and helps the claustrophobia sort of crescendo and then it still feels so shocking to me for these guys to walk into the play in the latter half of Act Four, it is so shocking for Fortinbras. It's such a like smart and I don't know modern feeling dramatic choice to me for this to be such an idea off stage, and then in Act Four for Fortinbras to walk in and be like, "Hi, I'm a real guy with an army," <laughs> and for us to be like, "Oh fuck, that's a real guy with an army." Like twenty thousand men prepared to go to their graves like beds. For a patch of earth that is actually like for shit, because it's clearly not about that. Yeah, it's uh, so Hamlet in a lot of ways is, is I think is, is is really a play about three sons who are avenging their dead fathers. Hamlet being one, Laertes being another, and for, and Fortinbras is the third and the one that's overlooked and sometimes even cut from the entire play, which is silly. Often. Um, and uh, and I, I and I, I think getting the Fortinbras sort of piece of this is so important as as you say um because he's avenging the like the like action from like way before the start of the play even like he's he's mad at hamlet's dad for killing his dad basically is i mean that's what he's upset about and and i think it's kind of easy to like just sort of gloss over the like like what's like actually happening physically here so basically in that scene a few a while back with claudius and one and voltamond or and or whoever and voltamond's like so fortinbras wants to come in he's just kind of passed through our land he's not going to do anything on our land he just wants to walk through it he wants to go to poland i don't know and claudius is like yeah sounds good but what fortinbras is doing is he's bringing his army into norway and he's just passing through um, um uh, oh, sorry into denmark and he's just passing through 
Um, and he's going to attack with his army that he's just his 20,000 men he just brought into into Denmark. And that's what Hitler did. She said, dropping that bomb at the end. Yeah. No. Well, also, my question about that has always been, how did Claudius not see that coming? <laughs> if he's such a fucking good politician. I think it's, it's about he's, the a, uncle, he's, right? he's a really good politician, but he's not a good warrior. And that's the mm-hmm. dichotomy supposed to have. I think he was also worried about it until there was that whole decision with the the uncle where Fortinbras, like his plan was laid bare to the uncle who's like technically kind of in charge. And the uncle was like, oh, don't do it. Right. Right. And and I mean, I guess I just and stuff has been popping off closer to Claudius's face in the interim, I suppose. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it feels like the sensation for the audience member is sort of supposed to be like. I feel like the reason Shakespeare slips it in halfway through act four is this sensation of like, oh, we weren't paying enough attention to that, were we? And now he's in front of our faces. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like we have the Claudius experience of like, oh, that's a real guy, (laughs) like walking into the play. It's also when Hamlet finally leaves the castle that we meet what's been happening outside of the castle. Right. And now my question about this for you probably, Isabel, is that this is this is Hamlet and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's exit to the boats, like to to on en route to England, all three of them together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So this is immediately following the action we've just seen pretty much uh, yeah. the next day or it's probably been like a day, maybe a few hours so that Hamlet could pack or whatever but yeah they're definitely on their way to the boat okay cool and this interaction with the captain is so interesting because the information that we gain is that the land is not worth anything and i think therefore we gain the information that it isn't about the land it's about avenging his father like isabel said which is like okay well we're not here for a real purpose we're here for we're here for a for a political purpose that isn't about like material gain and here are all these dudes ready to die for it. I suppose, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a stark vision of what war is. And I will just say that the double, the double casting of Polonius is something that I would probably be interested in doing in practice of just the fact that, because a thing that I, a thing that I'm interested in as we move through acts four and five is people who end up dead because of Hamlet recurring in other places so that everybody kind of keeps echoing through the play and never you know we all we turn around and there's a face nobody's ever dead you know rosengeld rosengeld here you are again and the only line guildenstern again says nothing and rosencrantz's only line is like let's go (laughs) yeah you know fingers crossed we'll just uh we're headed to england you know it's like uh when a couple's about to get a divorce and they go on a trip to save their relationship uh we're hoping we can uh save hamlet by the little vacation we hope so yeah i imagine us some fun luggage yeah (laughs) i think we have some cool events planned yeah some fun like tours when you get to england i mean are you well, it's almost worth, it's almost not worth asking, but I mean, excited to, so excited to, excited to leave Elsinore. <laughs> I think we'd be more excited if we weren't with Hamlet. Yeah, I mean, I that think... guy's a fucking stone cold murderer. <laughs> like we're, we're just his old chums How and somehow we became like the shepherds Did of we this end little murder boy. As 
the shepherds of the murder boy. Just getting on a boat with a murder boy. It's, yeah. We are babysitting a murder boy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a sitcom that we will be pitching to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, truly horrible, but 10 out of 10 would watch. And so Hamlet, uh, how allocations? Here we are. One of my fave sort of undersung speeches, really. I've always really yeah. loved this one. I mean, you know, I love it so much i do so talk to me about um about what you take from it and why you love it and what particularly sticks out to you i mean i think it's like obviously the language is so beautiful but i think also feels like he says the like he says the thing that everyone criticizes the play about yes (laughs) you know why is it taking me so long yeah and i think it's so the, the the beauty of the the thing of the part about Fortinbras has always like struck me as being so powerful. And it, it kind of like makes you think like if in Henry IV, Hal spent the whole time trying to kill Henry IV, then that would be this play, <laughs> you know, of just sort of th- this, uh, to me, this is a moment of like insecurity that we see a little bit. And it like very much humanizes this person who like, at this point, we just saw kill someone and then be very cold and calculated about it. And so I think that to see, to here's this, here's this person who is acting with such dignity and is also a great, like, he's, he's not only like delicate and tender and like has this like divine right of, of, of kingship, but he's also leading an army and laughing in the face of death. Like he is everything that I am not. And I think it's, you know, we talk a lot about, I've talked a lot about sort of how Hamlet idolizes his father. And I think here there's a little bit of sort of textual like evidence for the fact that like perhaps the reason that he idolizes him is because, you know, we've talked about how distant they probably were in all, in all likelihood. Perhaps here is, this is the evidence that we needed that he idolizes him because he knows that he's nothing like him. And he knows that like, he wouldn't be a good king and that he does not have a military mind. He's just a nerd boy off at Wittenberg, you know, in his late twenties, early thirties, depending on, you know, how, how much you want to read into other stuff. But, you know, it's weird that he's not there. Uh, And I think that this kind of speech, I mean, exposing what is mortal and unsure to all that fortune, death and danger dare even for an eggshell. Like this guy, this guy's going to, it's all in the text. I don't really need to explain it to everyone. But the, the fact that the speech is basically like, these people are all willing to die for like one square foot of land. Yep. And I am un- like, it's the mo- it's what we talked about too earlier of like, who cares about whether or not Claudius is at his most evil when he is killed? Like, kill him, kill him, <laughs> just kill him. Should have killed him. The, the second the ghost spoke to me didn't should have killed him when I saw him praying didn't should have killed him immediately after he reacted to the players didn't you know like and these people because I'm because I'm scared of the repercussions yes yeah yeah I think there was a particular piece of language I wanted to look at where did it go yeah I mean as you said at the beginning of that 
I think this is what people think of when they characterize the play as being about someone who thinks and thinks and thinks and won't actually do the thing. And obviously it's like that, that interpretation doesn't come from nowhere. It comes because he says it himself, you know? And I mean, the forcefulness of the language of, I do not know yet why yet I live to say these things to, to do. Sith, I have cause and will and strength and means big one syllable nouns, a string of them. You know what I mean? And to me, that really always feels like Shakespeare is just pummeling you when you get a list of single of monosyllabic nouns, cause and will and strength and means to do it. And I mean, it, he, you're beating yourself up literally is what that language sounds like to me. Yeah, and, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then later, father killed, a mother stained, like, like yeah. my whole, like everything intellectually and emotionally should all be in line here. Like it's, it's, it's a speech that's full of lists. Yes, it is. And the sound, I mean, also just, it's so, it's, it's got areas of it that are so percussive. I think linguistically, you know, I mean, my ear is just obsessed with to all that fortune, death and danger dare, even for an eggshell. I mean, it's like an incredibly dexterous, percussive speech. And to me, the effect of that is like, yes, it's a moment of insecurity, but it's a moment of like, insecurity activated it's literally beating yourself up with the comparison it has similar energy but in a slightly different key than rogan peasant slave because that is also a comparative look at this man having an incredibly deep feeling about a fictional woman he's never even met and i can't even fucking do this and because it has again the return to this guy is doing this and look what i've lost and what i've seen and what i should have done in the face of something so much more impart, important and I'm a piece of shit, you know, like he, the beating himself up is um, strong. And what's interesting too, is that, oh, from this time forth, my thoughts be bloody or be nothing worth is a really intense way to sort of exit on your journey. You know what I mean? But also, I don't know how you feel about this, but something that I always feel in my body at that point is like, well, we've heard that before, though, Hamlet. At the end of Act One, you said you would wipe away all trivial fond records and, like, make your identity nothing but killing this dude. And now we've lived a lot of life since then. So I don't know. It, it's the exit on a high note always feels to me like desperately wanting to make that the case. But also we've heard you say it before. And now we're here again saying nothing's happened. So what do you think about the ending? I mean, yeah, I think that that is like obviously a, a thing that exists within this character, but I think it is a little bit different here mm -hmm. in that he's shed blood. Mm -hmm. And I think in this moment too, you know, he, he's, he doesn't, he's not fucking around with Rosengild, you know? I think he knows that they're gonna, he's gonna have to sacrifice them. And uh, I think that this is kind of a moment of like this, this, you know, in, in the most beautiful way, as I've already said, it's like, I'll look at all these 20,000 men who are all willing to die for this plot, but also look at this leader who is willing to sacrifice these 20,000 men for that one piece of honor. Like I am going to have to sacrifice people. And, and that falls on me as a leader in a mm -hmm. weird way in like his weird, you know, brain I think thinking about his mm -hmm. his task here not as and and you know as we've seen the play up until this point has been a play about a sort of internal family struggle mm -hmm. and at this point I think for me the, the change here is that it's sort of like 
I have to think about this as me being at war hmm. um, and the way that that changes the approach. And, and I think also is affected by, you know, s- sitting quietly for a moment on the deck of a ship, thinking about the death of Polonius, thinking about the death that is to come, you know, like perhaps for the first time, the adrenaline starts to drain out of his body. It, it's, it's, it feels like grief for the first time when saying something about wanting to wipe away everything mm-hmm. but, but blood. All of the other ones have felt like, you know, you know, I'll wipe away all trivial fond records. Like it, it, it does feel like there's still an affection there. And, you know, obviously get thee to a nunnery is so weird and polarizing, but this one just de- definitely feels like there, there is a resignedness to it that I think we and, haven't seen yet. And just to really name what that is so that we can know what it does for us and how we feel different or more crystallized walking off stage to do what you feel you have to do. Is that adrenaline draining away, seeing clearly? Is this a moment of, I guess, are we saying that this is a new resolve in a more sober kind of like, okay, well, perhaps tactically, I have to, I'm interested in your thing of like, okay, well, if I have to think about it like a war, then that's what I have to do now. I don't know. Some, my eye is really drawn to the word shame in this of like, mm-hmm. while to my shame, I see the imminent death of 20,000 men that for a fantasy and trick of fame, go to their graves like beds. The thing of like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, basically we need for the speech to be paying its rent kind of, we need it to bring you to something new that we haven't seen before by the end that will enable you to do what you feel you have to do off stage, which is kill Rosengild and- mm-hmm. And I mean, like later we'll hear when um, when he goes into the fight with Laertes, mm-hmm. uh, Horatio says like, but you're not very good with a sword. And he's like, actually that whole time on the boat, I've been practicing, <laughs> which is sort of like, all right, <laughs> like, well, how much did you fucking learn on that boat, dude? But, you know, I think if that is, if that is the case, he's just sort of like, okay, here is all my shame. Here is all my disappointment here are all the mistakes that I've made. Here's my guilt and my grief. I'm going to become a soldier now. I'm, I'm going to think about preparing myself for battle. I'm going to practice my sword play. I'm going to think about strategy. I'm going to sacrifice some, some pawns here and I'm going to get back to, to Denmark and kill him. Okay. A new, a new kind of resolve yeah. is helpful for us to be looking a, for. A, yeah. a resolve that has no pride in it. Hmm. Okay. Because I think that this is a speech about, about shame, like you said. And of course, shame and pride are, are deeply connected. <laughs> yeah. They are the, the same thing. And so I think that, yeah, that mm-hmm. it's, it's this thing of, wow, look at this. Like, yeah. I mean, everything I've said, mm-hmm. I'm just, ta- I'm just talking now. Please stop me. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm um, with you. I'm with you. I think, I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's good. I think people often don't um, emphasize I don't, I think people think of this speech as not one of the big ones. And I think actually, really, it's more, it's both as beautiful and kind of more lucid in its purpose yeah. than some of the others. So I'm happy that we're there, but yeah. Okay. So to arrive at a new kind of resolve by the end is helpful for us. And we move on Yes. with that. Cool. Okay. I am ready to move on into Ophelia town. So let's do that thing. For now, four, five, on we go. I will not speak with her. She is importunate. Indeed, distracted. Her mood will be pitied. 
What would she have? She speaks much of her father, says she hears there's tricks of the world and hems and beats her heart, spurns enviously at straws, speaks things in doubt that carry but half sense. Toward good she were spoken with, for she may strew dangerous conjectures in ill-breeding minds. Let her come in. To my sick soul, as sin's true nature is, each toy seems prologue to some great amiss. So full of artless jealousy is guilt, it spills itself in fearing to be spilt. Where is the beauteous majesty of Denmark? How now, Ophelia? How should I your true love know from another one? By his cockle hat and staff and his sandal shoon. Alas, sweet lady, what imports this song? Say you, nay, pray you mark. He is dead and gone, lady, he is dead and gone. At his head a grass green turf, at his heels a stone. Oh. Nay, but Ophelia? Pray you mark. White his shroud as the mountain snow, larded all with sweet flowers, which bow up to the ground did not go with true love showers. How do you, pretty lady? Well, God ill do. They say the owl was a baker's daughter. Lord, we know what we are, but we know not what we may be. God be at your table. Conceit upon her father. Pray let's have no words of this. But when they ask you what it means, say you this. Tomorrow is St. Valentine all in the morning the time, and I am made at your window to be your valentine. Then up he rose and donned his clothes and ducked the chamber door, let in the maid that out a maid never departed more. Pretty Ophelia. Indeed, without an oath. I'll make an end on't. By guess and by St. Charity, alack and fly for shame. Young men will do it if they come to it, by cock they are to blame. Quoth she before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed, he answers. So what I had done by yonder son, thou hadst not come to my bed. How long has she been thus? I hope all will be well. We must be patient. <laughs> but I, I cannot choose to weep. <laughs> To think they should bury him in the cold ground. My brother shall know of it. And so I thank you for your good counsel. Come, my coach. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night. Good night. Follow her close. Give her good watch. I, I pray you. Oh, this is the poison of deep grief. Springs all from her father's death, and now behold. Oh, Gertrude. Gertrude, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. First her father slain, next your son gone, and he most violent author of his own just remove. The people muddied, thick and unwholesome in their thoughts and whispers for good Polonius' death. We've done but greenly and hugger-mugger to inter him. Poor Ophelia, divided from herself and her fair judgment. Last, and as much containing as all these, her brothers in secret come from France, and once not buzzers to infect his ear with pestilent speeches of his father's death. What is the matter? Save yourself, my lord. The young Laertes in a riotous head o'erbears your officers. The rabble call him lord. They cry, Laertes shall be king. Laertes, king. 
Where is this king? Give me my father! Calmly, good Laertes. That drop of blood that's calm proclaims me bastard. Cries cuckle to my father, brands the harlot, even here between the chaste, unbesmirched brow of my true mother. What is the cause, Laertes, that thy rebellion looks so giant-like? Let him go, Gertrude. Do not fear a person. There's such divinity doth hedge a king that treason can but peep to what it would. Acts little of his will. Tell me, Laertes. Why thou art thus incensed? Let him go, Gertrude. Speak, man. Where is my father? Dead. But not by him. Let him demand his fill. Okay, me dead! I'll not be juggled with. To hell, allegiance bows to the blackest devil I dare damnation! Let come what comes, only I'll be revenged most thoroughly for my father. Good Laertes. If you desire to know the certainty of your dear father, is it written your revenge that swoop stake you will draw both friend and foe, winner and loser? None but his enemies. Will you know them then? To his good friends thus wide I'll open my arms. Why, now you speak like a good child and a true gentleman. I am guiltless of your father's death and am most sensibly in grief for it. Oh, now what noise is that? Oh, heat dry up my brains, tears seven times salt, burn out the sense and virtue of mine eye. Oh, Rose of May, dear maid, kind sister, sweet Ophelia, he bore him barefaced on the bier. Hey, nonny, nonny, hey, nonny. And in his grave rained many a tear. Fare you well, my dove. Hadst thou thy wits and didst persuade revenge, it could not move us. You must sing a down, a down, and you call him a down, a down. Oh, how the wheel becomes it. It is the false steward that stole his master's daughter. This nothing's more than matter. There's Rosemary. That's for remembrance. Pray you, love, remember. There's pansies. That's for thoughts. A document in madness of thoughts and remembrance fitted. There's fennel for you and columbines. There's rue for you, too. And here's some for me. We may call it herb of grace of Sundays. You must wear your rue with a difference. There's a daisy. I would give you some violets, but they withered all when my father died. They say he made a good end. Thought and afflictions, passion, hell itself, she turns to favor and to prettiness. And will he not come again? Will he not come again? No. No, he is gone. He is gone. And we cast away moan. God a mercy on his soul. And of all Christian souls, God be with you. Do you see this, oh God? Laertes, I must commune with your grief. If by direct or by collateral hand they find us touched, we will our kingdom give. Our crown, our life, and all that we call ours to you in satisfaction. But if not, be you content to lend your patience to us, and we will jointly labor with your soul 
to give it due content. Let this be so. His means of death, his obscure funeral, no trophy o'er his bones, no noble rites, cried be heard as tore from heaven to earth that I must call it in question. And where the offense is, let the great axe fall. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for rolling all the way through. I felt like that would be the best way to experience 4-5. <laughs> because it's just this cascade. And it's the best way to be in conversation with it, I think. So there's lots of stuff that I want to pull our attention to here. But I want to hear from you guys in terms of what have things that hit you in particular ways and stuck out to you. The thing that I want to put on the table kind of into the soup is that, well, also I want to have a whole side conversation about Horatio and like, where you been? Where you been, kid? And, uh, you know, how Horatio fits into this act towards the, you know, to the end. But the big thought that I really have about this is just that we spent so much of the preceding acts and the first part of act four, or what we just touched, thinking about Hamlet, talking about Hamlet, experiencing this carousel of craziness from Hamlet's perspective. And one of the things that Shakespeare is so good at to me, and especially in plays where women are victims of violence, either individually or sort of systemically or both, to me, what Shakespeare is really good at doing is sitting with the perpetrators of the violence for a long time and then not forgetting to show you the cost. You know, this is something that I thought about a lot when, when I worked on Richard III, which is that the women in that play have a really specific purpose, which is to constantly remind us, no matter how much time we spend with the title character, that there is an incredibly profound cost in the society of this world. And it's written on the bodies of the women who live there. <laughs> and that's an intense job, but also, you know, I mean, here comes Laertes. It's also, um, it's a cost to a family. And I think it's really like speaks to what we've been building in terms of the, the Ophelia Laertes Polonius family, that the cost to this other family is, a huge part of what moves acts four and five. So I want to smack that on the, on the table, but, um, but Isabel, yeah. Would you please talk about why you added Horatio to the scene? And also maybe in the same breath, if you don't mind, why Horatio has the letter in four, six, which we're going to get to in a minute too, because that's not always Horatio either, is it? Yeah. So Horatio, you know, is interesting because he's the one who's alive at the end of the play. And so, and you know, in Hamlet, and Hamlet tells him, uh, tell my story, which he's gonna do. And so I think the idea of Horatio um, knowing everything is important. Um, and I think, so, I, and, and this is usually a gentleman, it's usually, it's just gentleman um, is, are these Horatio lines. And that, that's, that doesn't mean anything. So, you know, let, let's make it Horatio if we can in, in a production. And, um, and I, I also think that there's, there's, there's some like background logic in like Ophelia, Ophelia is distressed. Who's Ophelia going to go to? She's going to go to Hamlet's best friend. So as opposed to a gentleman. So that's why Horatio is here. And I think it ties with 4-6 because Horatio does always read that letter. And, uh, and so it's like, why does Horatio ha have this letter? You know, it's like Horatio's importance kind of like spikes. So uh, it's just an effort to kind of like unify 
the text and then also you know there's so many versions of this particular text historically so it, it comes from that as well there's there's a there's a moment i want to talk about uh not right now but but later after the scene in the bad quarto where horatio and gertrude have mm. a scene that doesn't appear in the yes in the version yeah it's wild else yeah well, correct me if I'm wrong, Isabel, but isn't the third Horatio line in the scene that Torguchi was spoken with, isn't that usually Horatio? Let me check, maybe. Because my, I was under the impression that you gave gentlemen's lines to Horatio, um, but that he is present in that scene and he is the one who brings Ophelia into the scene and then is sent away by Claudius, which is confusing in its own right. Yeah, um, you did your research. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, uh, it was just because... It does, um, it changes, it changes Horatio so much because I, I always think of him as sort of this, this observer um, and that's what qualifies him to be the person to tell the story at the end. But in this, giving him gentleman's lines, he's much more of an active participant uh, on his, I mean, he's an agent on behalf of, of uh, Ophelia. And in particular, I think it's so interesting the way that the very, the very first line of this scene is, um, has an extra foot it's a split line. I will not speak with her. She is importunate. And I, I wonder if that implies that he's speaking over her, that there's heated already in process at the beginning of the scene. And like that is such a crazy thing to be talking over a queen, to be cutting off a queen's line. Um, so yeah, it really changed a lot of my understanding of how Horatio's play is going from being a passive, passive logical observer to being a feeling participant, uh, which I think leads in really well and logically to his desire to, to, you know, like drink what's left of the poison at the very end. That's really interesting. The idea of Horatio as like a <laughs> trying to track with what we're given from the sidelines, the journey into feeling participant is so, is so interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like people think of Horatio as being so tied to Hamlet that Part of his presence here is, is in a way jarring because Hamlet is gone. And it makes me remember that Horatio arrived in the play without Hamlet and then showed up and was like, I'm here. And now Hamlet is gone and Horatio is still here. And Horatio is taking care of Ophelia. You know, I mean, that is a really interesting, that's a really interesting journey, especially because we didn't have him in act two at all. So during, and that's the time gap act, you know, the one of like between acts one and two, where is he? He isn't in act two. And we know that he's at the play in act three, but he has a much more backseat in act three as well. So what have you been doing? Uh, like, so, hang Yeah. Well, I mean, towards that, I feel like I'm sure other people have tried this ground before, but it's a thing that I noticed in the way that he's speaking to Gertrude, the thing that he's offering is you should talk to her because she might make people who have bad intentions think that they should do bad things. And saying that to Gertrude, from the audience perspective, you've had the opportunity to confront Gertrude with the truth of Claudius' murder of Old Hamlet. And now you have this moment where Horatio can be like, you should talk to her so that she doesn't make Claudius suspicious that she is doing some shit. So again, you have the language of ill breeding. So, so even though as like immediately as she's referenced again, you get language about pregnancy. And so I think that there's, there's like a really weird moment that a lot could be made of in terms of conspiracy between Horatio and Gertrude. And I know some directors choose to have her know that the cup is poisoned 
And I feel like this is probably one of the first glimpses of where you would begin that story. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, of course, the Gertrude having eyes, that's really smart. And the Gertrude having eyes on the Ophelia situation, like we're going to get to Gertrude's explanation of her death in just a little bit in the same act. And so I feel like it is really important to track from here to there, you know, of like, yeah. And so, so good bringing, lifting up the phrase ill breeding, you know, I don't know. Horatio's language is so good of also, she may strew dangerous conjectures and ill-breeding minds. Strew is such an interesting verb for someone who comes in here throwing flowers everywhere. I don't know. There's just a lot of really like prescient kind of like language in that line. There's also but, this really, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to ask you about the aside that you yeah, have. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to be like, whoa, this aside, my God. Um, I mean, I, I, I totally... Else, I, I'm totally with you because it's like, I won't see her. What does she want? And then it's this information of you really ought to speak to her because A, B, and C. And then that changes the reaction, right? Of, okay, let her come in. I have this inkling that she's still so, I just feel like these women are so traumatized that it's just like, it's too much. She's like, I don't want to. And I actually feel which I didn't really track before. It's so, it's so fun doing this, like with other people, you know, because <laughs> it's like, Ooh, yay. We can, we can take energy from each other. Um, but that there is what this actually led to for me was later on when Laertes comes in, I don't want to witness another young man killing an older man. Right. I just witnessed that. So I really like the only reason I think that Gertrude speaks up and says, Whoa, hang on. Because she's like, like last night, I just experienced this. I really don't want to have murder in front of me, part two. You know, and I, I, I think that there's like, that to my sick soul, as sin's true nature is each toy. So you've got this great like antitheses of toy and like great amiss, right? These two, she's, she doesn't use a lot of imagery, which connects me mm-hmm. to, to what you and Elsa were talking about uh about the not a lot of nature (laughs) imagery yeah um but then we're gonna get an explosion of images and in the next time we see her but i really like this weird little rhyming couplet is so Mm -hmm. so weird it's like her only moment alone with the audience and the whole fucking play the thing i wanted to point to about that is when you said to my sick soul to my sick soul, as sin's true nature is, I just thought about how the ghost in act three said that you had a fighting soul and asked Hamlet to step between you and your fighting soul. And at that time we were like, what's Gertrude's soul fighting about exactly? And it's so different for you to then have a moment with the audience to look at us and say, your soul is sick. I mean, to me, that is ground to stand on if you want to start building the case that Gertrude, like, is really starting to figure some shit out. And like, and I mean, and this thing is this language about guilt, it spills itself in fearing to be spilt. Yeah. Whose (laughs) guilt are you talking about? I mean, is it guilt that you feel? Is it Claudius's? Is it Hamlet's? It's a really 
great question. I did look up a, a gloss for jealousy because I was like, what what is that? And and what I got, and Isabel, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that jealousy here in this context could also mean suspicion or mistrust, not necessarily like being jealous about something. And so to me, that kind of feeds into this idea that like, okay, maybe Hamlet's onto something. Maybe Claudius did kill my husband. That that there is something, it's almost like I don't. It, it seems to me this little part is like, I don't actually want to know because I will lose my shit if, if this is confirmed. It also is just interesting to me that she doesn't speak to Claudius, never not once in this, after, after no. that first scene. All of her lines are to other people, not Claudius. And when yeah. he has that whole, oh, Gertrude, Gertrude, she has no response. She doesn't say a fucking thing. So to me, it's like, I can't look at you, you know, like if I this look is at part you, of why I lose my shit. <laughs> I love that. I love that because I think because there's a physical action written into the scene where when Laertes comes at him, she holds Laertes back. She physically yeah, holds I, Laertes back. Yeah, I want the, I want I, to talk about that as we get to it. But yeah, like, yeah, I feel so bad for Gertrude in that moment. And like, not that I, I, I don't think Laertes would have done anything to her. I don't think Laertes would think she had anything to do with anything, but like how horrible that Gertrude's the one that has to attempt to stop this guy, like with a fucking, we'll get to with her hands. I really like, I like kind of what you just, what you pointed towards Ariana though, of like the idea that it isn't necessarily your instinct to say, it's not like necessarily your love for Claudius. It's that you don't want to see another man get murdered today. That, that that was kind of what I'm feeling. No offense, Claudius, but like that, that was kind of what I was what I was feeling after like this passionate speech, this very intimate speech, and there's no response. There's like yeah. that just fell like a fucking stone to me. I was like, what, yeah, what, uh, no response. And then I think part of the reason she doesn't want to see Ophelia, and of course I want to let Zoe talk about Ophelia you just broke my heart is she doesn't want her heart broken again like she just had her heart broken by her son she doesn't want to see yet another person who's like destroyed themselves I don't know the last thing she said was like to Ophelia was I hope that your virtues will bring Hamlet to his senses and now like oops you've lost yours oh shit you know like I think there's some some guilt about Ophelia, I think, that is tied into this little alone moment before Ophelia comes in, too. 100. Isabel had a thing? Before we get too deep into Ophelia, you know, I just wanted to do like a, like a, ti- a timeline watch. Um, so this is where the timeline, of course, gets wonky because it's the last two acts of a Shakespeare play. But I think you can track the timeline um, through the plants, actually. So, you know, of course, the play is set in Denmark, but the plants are all English. So I'm going to go by English planting rules. So Ophelia says in this scene that the violets withered when her father died. So there's this kind of violet, calls it English violet, um, that that blooms early and then dies in March. That's like what it does, that's its thing. So so that sets the Polonius murder in March. Um, And then this scene is about a month later in April, just because of the plants that are available to her. And, you know, and the the water isn't frozen over or, or, you know, so cold that she can't go into it. So it it, it puts the scene in April. And and also the rest of the play is also in about April as well, um, because if you, because then if you take it the play from November 
when the first murder of Old King Hamlet dies in to April, that's a six month period. And that is a, that's a traditional six month mourning period for the death of a parent. That's snaps, that's snaps for that. <laughs> that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Okay. So how far along is the baby? <laughs> yeah, I will try not to spend like a million years going through every line of this scene, but I could. Zoe, um, take it away. Take it I, away. <laughs> well, I just think like, obviously in any play, uh, you have to figure out like what the fuck you're talking about. Um, but I think specifically when you're playing a scene where everyone is saying, she doesn't make any sense. This is all madness. It's like 20 million times more important to be like, okay, what is she? What do I mean? What am I saying? So important. And this is not necessarily how I think these lines should be interpreted. Like I'm not going by the book. This is just sort of like mock rehearsal. What I would bring into a room after looking at it and like some of the other things we've talked about. I like the idea that she doesn't recognize the people around her, the fact that she doesn't recognize her, well, she recognizes her brother, but she doesn't like show any type of recognition until she's handing the flowers to very specific people or maybe until her brother comes in. She doesn't really, I like that she's like, where's the queen? And I like the idea that she sort of comes in with a mission to talk to this person. And I think the more desperate she is and the more important it, it like what she has to say is the most important thing to her. And I think that's sort of like the crux of it for me uh, is like how frustrating it is to be, I mean, she says to Gertrude twice, like, oh, sorry, did you say something? No, listen to me. And she says it like, she keeps repeating, like, pray you Mark, like, shut the fuck up, listen to what I have to say. And how how it would drive you crazy if you're trying to communicate something really important and the people around you are like, oh my God, like what's she? Like, they don't talk to her. They're like, what's wrong? Like, and she's like, listen to my thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna go way deep here. The other thing, just like that we've already talked about, thinking about the scene where Hamlet hides the body, just like thinking about the horrors this girl has been through. Um, it's not just like, I know we joke and we're like, oh, her boyfriend killed her dad. But it's not just like her boyfriend killed her dad. It's like, then he dragged his corpse around this place where Ophelia lives or where Ophelia is often. Like she could, this is like my own actor brain, like doing the work of like what I would be haunted by is like, I feel like every door she opens, she sees the corpse of her dead father. I feel like that's sort of one. Yeah, anyway, just that disturbed me a lot when I thought of that. And I was like, well, that's a starting point. Um, but people are running around looking for this dead body and nobody knows where it is. And his daughter is right there. Um, and then sort of going through the scene in order, the first bit she sings is about, she's, I looked up like cockle hat and staff and sandal shoon, which please help me out here, Isabel, if I'm like totally butchering what this means but that was sort of the uniform of the pilgrim, right? Like a religious pilgrim. And to me, I'm sort of taking it on as like Hamlet has just been sent away on this journey. Everyone she loves is gone or dead. She still loves Hamlet. That's like a big important thing here. She's still in love with this person who killed her father. Um, and so to, to me, 
he is like the pilgrim in this song. She's saying like, he's, he's leaving, he's, he's left. The love of my life has left me. And thinking about the pregnancy, that was also like another huge key to this scene for me because obviously she's talking all about death and we think that it's just about her father. But I think, or I'm excited by the idea of being in a world where she's already tried to induce an abortion um, because she already has the rue. So in this scene, she already has like picked the rue, she has it. And I'm excited by the idea that maybe she has taken it or used it already. Um, and that a lot of the sort of imagery and talk about death is about her father, but also about this potential baby that she is actively trying to get rid of. So a lot of the stuff about like, even like, um, where is it? It's so high, I just am like jumping all around. So anyone feel free to chime in. Cause I'm just like going on and on. No, uh, no, it's helpful. Yeah. But even, yeah, I don't know, just different points in the language. I was, it just made me really think about the, you know, the pregnancy, even the end, her last little bit before um, Laertes comes in. I hope all will be well. We must be patient. It's like waiting to see if this has worked. And then obviously the, I can't choose to weep, but to think they should lay him in the cold ground, which is just like, whoo, stab you in the heart. And also my brother shall know of it. I feel like there's a duality there where she, she's obviously talking about her father being murdered, but also like he'll know what I did. He'll know like my sins. Um, he'll come and he'll know, he'll look at me and he'll know that I had sex and I got pregnant and I did this thing. And then following that up with, and so I thank you for your good counsel. The only people who've given her counsel are Laertes and Polonius in the play. So it's like this weird, like, you gave me this counsel and I didn't take it and I ruined everyone's lives because I did the bad thing. Um, and it is going back to that, like Jeffrey Tennant, everyone's dead, everyone's gone and it's all her fault. And that's like why she yeah. is in the state that she's in. But I think I'm not going to go through line by line, but I think like going through line by line, I made it an important job for myself to be like, what specifically is this about? And I think you have to do that. <laughs> you have to do that for this scene, especially. I think you do. And I think you're something spooky happened to me when I was listening to it and listening to you talk about it just now where how we talked about in the nunnery scene, uh, the way that Shakespeare gives this person who is going to go crazy, the most lucid language about madness in the play. And there's that weird telescoping into the future moment where you get to look into the future of the play and like, see your madness. I felt that again here, but about your death. Mm. And I think, I think it goes beyond the question of, are you actively planning to kill yourself? But the thing is like, Abortion is one way to kill your baby, but so is jumping in the river. Mm -hmm. And it, it started to feel like, because we're operating on another plane, which you're doing beautifully, because we're not having to operate in a logic plane, even though everything has to mean something, we're operating in a poetics brain. It made me feel like part of what's happening, it's almost your funeral throwing these flowers around. I don't know. I mean, there's something to me about that that is like, it presages the death that is going to happen in really short order. And, you know, I mean, like there's, um, 
I heard some sort of apocryphal story, perhaps, about a production of this at one time or another that I've never stopped thinking about, where apparent, like some sort of outdoor space might have even been Shakespeare in the Park or somewhere else. I don't know. But I heard a story once about a production of this where after this scene, she left the scene and then in the distance, like beyond the action, you could just see her walk into the river. Like there was an actual body of water and behind the action of Laertes and Claudia speaking, you could see her go in. And it's that the idea of it being that immediate of like this thing. I love your, your notion of I came with a mission. I have something really specific I need to say. And it matters to me and it matters to say it before whatever happens, happens, whether or not you consciously have a plan like a person would who was going to kill themselves or whether it's more mystical than that. And it's just this notion that like, in a way, this is your death as well that you're speaking about. I don't know if that resonates. I totally agree. That, yeah. And I think that's what death is. Like, it's not, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not a clear, I don't think she's in a state where she can make decisions for herself. So I don't right. know if I would call, I mean, I wouldn't call suicide a decision regardless, but um, mm -hmm. also when you were talking about like going into the river, the other thing I thought of was, you know, like inducing an abortion, trying to like self-soothe in a way, even thinking about like home births in like yeah. a bathtub or something like that, or even like taking a bath when you have really bad cramps, stuff like that. And yeah. like how tied sort of like water is and as like a fluid also just yes. like water and pain and soothing and like all of those things mm. um that image I find really striking of her maybe seeking some kind of like solace or some kind of like something mm. to like hold her 100 percent 100 percent yeah. And then the way that Gertrude, I mean, whether or not it happened the way Gertrude describes, the way that Gertrude does describe in a minute, huh, your thing about being held is so good because it makes me think of the way Gertrude describes the water pulling her, like the way that it, the way that it describes the water, like getting into her clothes and mm -hmm. pulling her down, you know, there is like a hold there. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's such a it's such a poetically arresting scene. And I think the best versions of it have to feel like not like she's gone crazy, but like she knows something that we don't know. Well, it's also a confession to Gertrude. Mm -hmm. Like this, this is her telling Gertrude, I have been, like I've become pregnant by your son. Like it, the song she sings, she literally says it. Mm -hmm. And even saying like she sings a whole song about like we fucked and the, and like indeed without an oath yeah and like indeed without an oath uh like we did we did all the shit that we shouldn't have done and so that yeah it's it's hugely desperate and nobody gets it and it sucks also I'm not in this scene but I just want to be here with Ophelia <laughs> um I think also the fact that we think so much of when you think of Hamlet, you know, you think of to be or not to be and of suicide. And the fact that the only suicide in the play is Ophelia, who hears that speech, is like incredibly moving and upsetting. And it, it, it sort of, it just made me think like, well, obviously she doesn't have any fear about what dreams may come because she's already living in a fucking nightmare. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, what what more could she possibly have to fear? Yeah. That's yeah. 
that that's totally it because that's yeah that's why it feels like the scariest form of madness that we can ever see especially in a play where the madness that is put on involves really sort of theatrical kind of like outre you know like involves we we know what madness being put on looks like because there are versions of it and it's so eerie and spooky and cold making that the actual mad I feel like actual madness plays like someone speaking very lucidly from another realm you know Mm -hmm. of like that's it feels like somebody speaking very cogently from another place and that's actually really it's like the scariest thing is like you know we've all probably had that had that interaction less charged than this but still where like someone who you then realize is very crazy starts speaking to you on the subway or something and it's someone who's just like telling you something that feels very plainly like a fact to them and you're like oh okay like I you know that's a person speaking from a galaxy that I am not from (laughs) you know but but it doesn't look like ranting and raving it looks like intensely focused information yeah it is very tricky it's a I don't, I don't really know how it should be done at the end of the day. It's very difficult not to just blubber your way through the whole thing because it's incredibly painful. And the things she says are so upsetting that it, it's difficult to get through it. But I yeah. think if you make the choices, that, that helps. All you can do is like make the choices about what she is literally trying to communicate. I also just wanted to mention there was a, a resonance that I hadn't noticed before perhaps because of the uh discussion about the little tiny Gertrude (laughs) four-line soliloquy that immediately precedes this that I had this flash of thought that how should I your true love know from another one could be about old Hamlet like could be about my former husband and the next one he is dead and gone lady he's dead and gone could be about both Polonius and also her husband, at least in her mind. And that, you know, could be fueling her like, what? Why is it, you know, like that there's something she's obviously been thinking about Hamlet senior a lot in the last 24 hours. And the fact that we're talking about an old dead man and she doesn't name him could also have this. And it was just a a resonance. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't noticed before. Yeah, I, I'm I think, go ahead. I think that um, Ophelia is really smart. Uh, and I think that we see that in, in her earlier scenes where she kind of has that banter with Laertes and we sense that she's probably Hamlet's sort of like intellectual equal. And so they're, they're both big nerds together and that's kind of what like draws them together. And so like, Ophelia's been around the castle and and she watched this play, which is like in no way sneaky or subtle. So like I, I don't I don't think it's out of the question that Ophelia put the entire thing together. I mean, I mean probably not the ghost, but like, you know, like everything else and that Hamlet's bent on revenge and like that's why he's been so weird and like, you know, that's what that really weird play was about, you know, that just kind of happened randomly in the middle of the day. And that's why Rosen Prince and Gildenstern are here. And and so I, I think that there's a there's you can spend like your whole life just on this scene because like there's so many layered meanings and that's kind of what you're uh, you're talking about too ariana um in all of these songs and lines and so i i think that the, the scene and what she says really upsets claudius because it seems like she knows the truth and that's that's not good because because claudius thinks he just got rid of the only other person who knew the truth um but it, but it seems like ophelia does too um and on so, on some level 
I really think Ophelia does know the truth and whether it's from being in her other galaxy or despite you know watching that play she, she figured it out I also kind of think she knows that they sent Hamlet away to be murdered like I know that that's a secret I don't I don't know if she literally knows but I think it's kind of all the same to her like he's gone forever so there's that also and there's an established culture of eavesdropping in Elsinore so who's to say what she hasn't hasn't heard just because you know she's an overlooked woman I feel like that's always there if we want it the established culture of eavesdropping is sort of like well you can just say you overheard it and that's fine and no one can take that away from us but um it just tracking the danger the the loaded gun of Ophelia bringing it into the room you know it just really hit me the thing of Horatio beginning the scene with like hey maybe talk to her and check this out because she might like know some stuff and then Gertrude looking at the audience and being like oh my soul guilt and then Ophelia walking in having this whole scene and then the fact that Claudius I don't know the the fact that Claudius's immediate move is to of course like you know delegitimize any of her any of her stuff by oh she's so crazy but also something that really struck me in his language is when he says to Gertrude when sorrows come they come not single spies but in battalions in that speech first her father slain next your son gone and he most violent author of his own just remove I love how quickly like if you know like Zoe, you bringing up what if Ophelia sort of feels like Hamlet has gone off to be murdered. I love how quickly Claudius comes in with like Hamlet's gone and it's definitely his own fault because of everything that he did that he's gone. It's his that we fault. Agree about, right. That we talked about. Remember that one time that we agree your son's crazy and has to go. Remember that. And then poor Ophelia divided from herself and her fair judgment. And then, and then here comes Laertes. And so we'll get into Laertes in a minute, but it just struck me that Claudius's response to this intensity and to, to again, the chickens coming home to roost, you know, is like, well, she's crazy and it's definitely Hamlet's fault that he's gone. And now here comes Laertes and I have to deal with that. I also just want to say like yeah. what, what Claudius like says, which is like, don't listen to her. She's crazy like works it worked it works on the people here and it also worked on us which is why there's like such a weird history with Ophelia of like people think like not knowing what to do because they don't understand it and like Zoe said this is you know this is such basic you know you have to go through and do this but it it I mean Zoe's incredible it 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 is I feel like I haven't seen it done with this much respect for Ophelia before. And I think to acknowledge the fact that like we as a culture have let Ophelia be this girl throwing flowers around without any meaning. We, we, we've let her be that for so long and we continue to let her be that. And you know, it's, it's all there. All you have to do is read it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I do want to sort of, yeah, I do want to sort of caveat that I, I feel like a lot of, I do also know a lot of like, feminist scholars and critics of Shakespeare who have a hard time with Ophelia because of how little she has. And I think that there is, of course, something in that of the fact that like on a certain level, you do have to make a lot with a little just even in terms of quantity. But I think qualitatively, I totally agree that it's there. Yeah. And I mean, like I said before, I'm a big believer in the fact that like to be the person 
who expresses the emotional cost of the action is not a small job, I think. And obviously, like, it is a pain that that labor is always female. (laughs) But like, but that's, it's part of the poetry of the, it's a serious job. If you let it be a serious job, I'm absolutely with that. And, and, and Zoe, you know, I mean, I think that was a, I think that was an amazing read. And I think it has to be as detailed and as, um, and as careful as that. But yeah, I think people just get scared about the idea of what does insanity look like and then paint themselves into all kinds of production corners about what does insanity look like rather than asking like you would in any other scene, what is she trying to say, which is what you came at it, which I think is right. Because well, I think also, Oh, sorry. No, that's all. I think also it's like by the nature of the, what we're doing here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a podcast. We don't, we're not doing like a production. You can't rely on any type of design element, you know, visually anyway. And I think a lot of people get really excited by this scene, me included. It's like, oh, what fun things can we do? Like what fun things can we make Ophelia do? Cause she's crazy. She's like actually crazy. So she can do whatever the fuck we can make her, you know, dress super weird. And her hair is all insane. You know, like mm-hmm. all of these things that I think we get distracted by. Cause it's like fun and exciting. It's like the yeah. fun part of the scene that we forget to like really dig into the meat of it and mm-hmm. what's being said. And I think there's give and take. I think there are things that can be strong design elements that help that there's a there was a production at the RSC and a friend of mine from drama school was the Ophelia. It was incredible. She was the best Ophelia I've ever seen. And the the next bit, which we'll get to, but when she's passing out the flowers, and I think other productions have done this, but she's actually just like pulling out pieces of her hair and giving mm-hmm. it to people. And I love like really dark choices like that. I just love embracing the intense darkness of this scene. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it needs any of that. I think it's pretty like bare bones. It's pretty intense. So yeah. It is. If I I may jump in on that note, to be honest, I think one of the reasons why people are also scared of the scene is because it's scary for the ur text of the what of the like the western consciousness that we're working on here. It's scary for us to contend with the scene in which we really show the human cost of the main character's actions. I, I I genuinely, and like, I don't say that lightly. I think people just either don't care in the in certain productions that they do or the work that they do on the play, or it's like, fuck, what do we do with this? Or like, it's a star vehicle and people are like, well, we don't, this is uncomfortable. Like to Like to get finally to the scene where this person is absolutely fucking broken in twain. I think it makes people really uncomfortable for a lot of reasons, uh, I, as well as I, the ones that have been stated already. I do genuinely think for male directors, even if they won't name it, so, it subconsciously, sometimes it is as simple as we don't want to fuck the Hamlet. Yeah, <laughs> genuinely, I really think that. I really do. Yeah. Just to second that, and I just want to, like, want to draw a line back to the conversation we had yesterday of like the same thing happening with Polonius where it's like trying to minimize Polonius's death in order to make sure we don't hate Hamlet too much. It feels like very much in the same. Which is such like a weird move of like, the, of like our Western canon, because like we love Richard III. I was just going to say Iago, that. And we kind of like Macbeth, depending on the production. So like, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, to me, it is a weird choice because it's just like, it continues to not, um, it continues to assume that likability is what we're in the game for, you know, which like, to me is such a, like, you know, a drastic, mm, a, a drastic underestimation of the audience, but also like a weird lack of attention to what makes drama interesting anyway. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm not like in it for how good a guy he is. It's a tragedy, make a mess, <laughs> like show me what the problem is, you know, like, and I'm okay with, with him being a really problematic figure. I think that's all right. I don't think it neutralizes the, um, the awfulness of the fact that he desperately wishes it was otherwise. I mean, nobody sort of criticizes Hamlet more than Hamlet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it's okay for it to be both things, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's visceral and intense. And I think that I'm thinking about the work that you guys did on the nunnery scene yesterday. And just the fact that we decided there was all of that love in the room and I felt it supported by the text and I felt the love in the room. And now this is also true. And the thing is, we're not even in act five yet where this same man is going to jump in your grave and lose his mind. And like, that is also true. And I feel like that's sort of one of the gifts of the play is that it has to keep asking you to go there in a new way over and over and over. And then the sum of the parts is the sort of journey, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's, it's really challenging. And I don't think I've ever seen a production that I feel like gets every act right in that way, where I feel like it really went there really hard in every act. Olivia had a thing. We're going to talk about this more tomorrow, but Laertes jumps in the grave first. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which I oh, yeah. feel like is again, oh, a yeah. conversation that we're going to continue to have. Oh yeah. We're, ha we're happy to a put a pin thoughts. in that. We're happy to put a pin in that. And in fact, we'll move on to Laertes now, you know, but I really wanted to sit. I wanted to, to thank you for, for sitting with that uh, Zoe and everybody, because like, she, for a character who she's high impact for a character who people complain about the fact that she doesn't have a lot of scenes she's really high impact and it's obviously because of this you know and so how do we deal with madness how do we feel about their love story how do we feel about the sex in the play I don't know she brings a lot of things that the play really needs and I mean speaking of the lack of nature you know I mean like to me the most powerful choice of it being flowers <laughs> is that you walk into this empty, dark, wintry space that has just been totally cloistered and suffocating this entire time where we haven't even like fucking heard about a flower, much less seen one. And then nature and wildness comes into the space for a moment. And then we wade out into the river. And then the most beautiful language about nature comes back because of the way that you died. And I don't know. I don't know. There's something about that that's really poignant to me and poetically eviscerating <laughs> but laertes rock up in here my dude i can't stop thinking about this thing that isabel introduced about the elections and about the fact of this crowd shouting laertes shall be king laertes king the people have turned on claudius for some reason and we're not actually totally sure why maybe it's yeah. the army in the backyard that could, that could be it yeah maybe that <laughs> Uh, yes, Thornton Bross is here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I might have just misread this as well. But like, clearly, there's a degree of unrest happening. If also, I have heard that my dad 
died several countries away, but also was buried without colors of any kind, was buried secretly, which is so deeply offensive to me on every level, clearly, because I'm here. So, like, I wonder, like, are whispers about that already happening now then? Like, yo, like, no one's seen Polonius around for a few days. Like, uh, like it's not, needless to say, it's not looking good for Claudius and everything. But um, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts. One of the first thoughts that I want to share uh, or, or ask if, if Isabel has thoughts or, like, anyone has thoughts. We were talking about naked threats being in the space in two scenes ago. But I totally disagree with what was said at that time. I think the first naked threat we actually have in the play is when Laertes comes back here. Laertes is the one who was like, I'm ready, I'm ready to kill. What is going, like, what is going on? And we said a few days ago, for a for a play in which everyone is so obsessed with whether or not they're going to go to hell when they die, he literally says, I dare damnation. And then in two scenes, he's like, I would like to cut Hamlet's throat in the middle of a fucking church. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, uh, I would love for people to disagree with me, but I feel in a horrible way, very refreshed by how wholly unconcerned with the religious aspect of this world Laertes is. He doesn't care at all about any of that. I love that about Laertes. I think that's such a smart observation. The fact that he, I mean, it's like, you think you've seen heavy metal before fucking here comes this kid. And I think that, I think that part of what he's doing in the play is to draw, we've talked about the comparative between him and Hamlet before. And the fact that he's more well-liked more, whatever we've talked about. We've talked a lot about Hamlet being a scholar and a philosopher, but the thing is Laertes is not that man. And I feel like Laertes being here is partly to show us Hamlet is a call is a philosophy is a philosophy major <laughs> like you know Hamlet is a college student whose business is to think about religion in a different way and obviously like it's in the play in a different it's in the world in a different way for these people than it would be to us now but still the fact that Laertes is here to be like I'm not that man and yeah. and something that I really heard when you did um you know oh my god I lost the place now but the the bombastic sort of quality of the entrance there's ooh, do 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 yes here it is that drop of blood that's calm proclaims me bastard cries cuckled to my father you know and the thing of it makes me remember that you come from a better family <laughs> from a more loving family rather you know what i mean because obviously hamlet's entire world is motivated by avenging his father but the way that laertes comes in so hot to avenge his father makes me remember how warm their, how emotional their family bond seemed to feel to us. Yeah. And, and again, uncaring of the part of the story that is about um, uh, religion, about like what is going to happen, what's going to happen to me after I die. I clearly don't care. Um, and also in respect of Ophelia, Zoe gave me a really helpful gift talking about with, with everything she did. And also talking about like, like my brother shall know of it, the, the slight implication of like, he'll know what I did. This is so fucking sad. I feel really bad for these people. But um, as we see, as we see later, like in the funeral as well, like Laertes never did nor would have cared about that at all. Like, even if this was a production where like you came back on and like, you were like fully visibly pregnant, 
he so clearly doesn't care about that. Like he really doesn't, you know, he, he's, he, he will, again, he will dare damnation for, for her and for Polonius simply because he loves, loves them to this degree. He, do, he doesn't care. He just is in a rage because he never got the chance to say goodbye to either of them. Yeah. Yeah. And something about his entrance, even though it's that hot and it's that emotional, and physical, it's that physical, which we can tell from the text, Claudius is not afraid of being killed in this moment. The no. fact that Claudius, Claudius looks at Laertes like, like, you, you know, like a spooked horse. It's a really weird piece of sort of whispering that happens here of, you know, like, let, it's okay, let him go. And you have to say it again, it's okay. You can let him go. And then the fact that, Patrick, the thing that stuck out to me the most in your response is the thing when he says, why now you speak like a good child and a true gentleman. And it's like a good child to your father is sort of how I read it, even though it has creepy condescending kind of overtones, but like the fact well, that he well looks, both. it's both, but the fact that the fact that you don't feel, even though Laertes is so hot, you don't feel, you feel like you can talk him around. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I weirdly, uh, I, I, I think, Going back, I, I, I don't want us to get too mired in, in the Ophelia scene again, but I think, I think Claudius shows a strange paternal side, without being without being paternal, but like a fatherly side, where he, mm. you, you almost get the sense how he would have looked as a father to a young girl. Now, he's mm. too he's obviously too paternal with Ophelia in, in the term in the, in the way that like he. I think he he does treat her like she's a young like she's a young child, which is to her detriment. Um, but he, yeah, he's he's weirdly he's weirdly deft with with these two siblings. Oh and no! You know, uh, oh no! Go ahead, Olivia. Actually, you say your thought first, and then. Well, my thought was also just that Laertes comes in. You know, the your the first line when Laertes is in the room really struck me because it's where is my father dead but not by him and that's Gertrude doing but not by him I think that's a shared line too all three mm -hmm. where is my father dead but not by him and in a way Laertes storming in here being incredibly murderously pissed about this specific thing I think Claudius is actually quick enough to think of this in a way it's one of the best things that could have happened to you because this is the crime you are actually innocent of and if Laertes wants to kill Hamlet, that is great for you. I mean, like, you think he's already off being killed, but also it's like you are able to say to him with a straight face, I didn't do it because you didn't do it. That struck me. Olivia, you had a thought. Like, yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, if I was, if we were doing the scene on its feet, Patrick, I would have requested and, and like spoken to you about it, Patrick. Clearly, Gertrude holds me back physically to a degree. But where's my father dead, but not by him? Let him demand his fill. I, I would have asked after, but not by him. Can I literally just like run up on you and just like, because it feels like you're again, like, it's fine. Just let him do, just let him, just let him fucking do. And then the next text that Laertes has feels like I'm like literally in your face. And again, this is just such a fun, like Shakespeare seeming to suggest physicality scene. It, it feels so close then for a while as you're sort of maybe formulating what you're going to say next, who knows, as maybe I have something to your throat and I'm like punching the wall next to your head. I don't know. But like, it seems it's, it, I mean, like staging wise, it almost seems like you're caught between me and between Claudius and Gertrude with the short line, let him, let him demand his fill. It's like, wait, 
you didn't kill him and I must be satisfied. The obvious next question is like, well, then you didn't do it. How did he die? Like, well, again, oh. I, I think I will. I would. Yes, I would argue that. Why don't we just stage it? <laughs> I know, guys, this is so this is so it. I'm just like, OK, well, this is how we would do it. And Let's just get no, up. I do think I do think it's really physical. I do think it's really physical. And I think now I'm really obsessed with the with the shared line thing in this scene, because I think it mm-hmm. tells us a lot about who's calm when. Um, and who is yeah. like, you know, I don't know. There's something I really like the idea of how it, it it's good. It's good drama. It's good character dramaturgy for everyone. If we let Laertes be as violent and sort of hot as possible. And then we also allow Claudius to react as calmly and as coolly as he possibly can, because we need to see that he has that in him as well. You know what I mean? And I think it is a sort of trial by fire moment for Claudius. And so I feel like if Laertes Mm. is fucking wailing on you and then we get to let come what comes only I'll be revenged most thoroughly for my father finish his line. Good Laertes, you know? It, like it, and that's it, the hand up right it reminds me it reminds me a lot of the way iago plays on othello yes in yes three scene three uh, yes of just of just like feed him what he needs let him let him get it out and then work on him keep him mad but not at me yeah. <laughs> and keep him I, mad, but not at me <laughs> yeah and and yeah i would say that like dramaturgically please correct me but given what laertes says at the end of the scene I think I come into the scene thinking it was your fault or Hamlet's fault. I do think I do think mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So there is a there is a chance that depending on what you say to me, I will ki- I will kill you here. Again, the f- the secret burial that I have only heard whispers of, that means it was you or your kid. So like yeah, I probably would be wanting to get as violent as I could. I think I think you're locked and loaded. I think that's absolutely right. But then and that's the highest drama version of the scene, because then if you think it's him or Hamlet and he says it isn't him and points at Hamlet, you read the poker face and decide he's telling the truth. I mean, it works. He you believe him. And of course, the weird kind of layer, the weird irony is that it is true. It wasn't it wasn't him, you know. And so even though like it's all his fucking fault, arguably, like, you know, it wasn't him. And so when we get to none but his enemies, will you know them then? And I really feel like, I mean, you played this, Olivia, but I feel like we get such a good opportunity with to his good friends, thus wide all up my arms. Uh, the kind of testing of that of like, if it's not fucking you, we can deal, right? And then, he, and then Claudius moves in on the opportunity. But then before we get into the deal making, because we're going to get into the deal making in a minute, in a little bit, then Ophelia comes in. And now we're in a different place for Laertes. And this you had not heard about, right? No. This is a surprise. Absolutely not. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I yep. also I also got the feeling, Zoe, when you played it to to him, that you sort of didn't recognize him until a certain point or that it was in and out. And I think that is so it i think that is so messed up for laertes it just makes the play as hard as possible for him yeah i also think it's like the director and obviously the actors have to make the choice of what clues him in yeah he's mad because he like immediately gets it Mm -hmm. like she's mad my god because enough because she doesn't i don't know if it's just in this cut or in the Mm -hmm. folio like the full folio first folio I mean, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't have any lines before he's like, holy fucking shit. Like, what am I witnessing? 
so yeah I feel like that is part of it like if Mm -hmm. if she were if she were in her right mind she would run over to him and be like oh my you know like you're back right yeah and all this shit and she doesn't absolutely it's like the opposite of the beautiful like reunion in Twelfth Night. It's like two siblings being literally apart. Oh, yeah. Two broken siblings who don't recognize each other. Yeah. That yeah. is fucked actually. That is <laughs> such a good observation. Yeah. And again, it feels like like the, the dawning terror, especially like when you leave me just saying like, do you see this? Oh God, is so just like, I, yeah. I, I didn't get to say goodbye to my dad. And now I didn't get to say goodbye to my sister either. Oh my God, Olivia, the two, the two lateness of it, actually thinking about how we would play that. The fact that you've already come in with this horrible anger fueled by it's too late to say goodbye to my father. And then how would, how we would play this scene so that she's barely in the room before it already hits you like a ton of bricks that even though she's still here alive, it's also too late to say goodbye to your sister. Yeah. And I like the idea that she's kind of like, you could play it so many like what a great juicy question as far as like what does Ophelia do that makes him realize she's mad there's so many ways to do that I like the I mean some people make Ophelia very violent in these scenes Mm -hmm. um similarly to Laertes which I think is like a cool choice I I also like the idea of her being like afraid of him um like like, yeah I mean it's like that would be a really painful horrible thing I think based on how I read the earlier mad scene as well of like he'll know he'll know Mm. that there's Mm. like a weird fear or something I don't know I don't know really good how you know absolutely that's really good like question to ask that's really good yeah the idea of her being afraid of him based on based on what we had before is really 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 good okay so by the end of this scene, Laertes demands basically include this, this thing that you lay out, his means of death, his obscure funeral, no trophy or his bones, no noble rights. You are going to like the, the knowledge that, okay, we're going to go have a conversation and these are the things I need you to explain. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously that final line of Claudius and where the offense is, let the great axe fall, is what a thing for somebody to say here at the almost end of act four, because where the offense is, let the great, like, (laughs) I mean, a lot of people who have committed some offenses go under the axe in act five. (laughs) So it's a, it's a prophetic and fucked up line in the way that so many things here are prophetic and fucked up. So to say that in front of Gertrude is also like, she's got to be going, what the fuck? What the fuck? You're not, you know, that's really disturbing. Again, to me, just signaling like her further distancing from Claudius from this act to the end of the play. I love, I love giving her, giving just more, more little pretzel chips to, to Gertrude to feed herself. (laughs) Like, well, and the idea, the idea of, okay, yeah, it's Hamlet's fault and I, I'm going to give him to you. But, like the idea of like, yeah, we are okay with fucking Hamlet over to say that in front of his mother. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Let's move into, we have two more. We have four, six, and seven. We have Laertes and I mean, we have uh, Horatio and then we have Claudius and Laertes do the deal. So let's crack in. 
Uh, Horatio. Horatio, ere we were two days old at sea, a pirate, a very warlike appointment gave us chase. Let the king have the letters I have sent and repair thou to me with as much speed as thou wouldst fly death. I have words to speak in thine ear will make thee dumb. These good fellows will bring thee where I am, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern hold the course for England. Of them I have much to tell thee. Farewell, he that thou knowest thine, Hamlet. Okay, so Horatio just wandering on stage alone, pondering this letter, wanders off stage alone. I've cut some stuff around it. Yeah, the context, the context of this scene, and I think here's here's the thing. I initially I was like, ooh, the context is gone. This is like really difficult to play. And then I read the full text and was like, like the the entire scene just leaves Horatio with more questions, no matter how much of it you include. So the context of the scene is a couple of sailors show up with this letter, and Horatio's like, "Who are you?" And they're like, "We have this letter for you." And then he reads it, and there's like, there there were these pirates. Uh, they like we fought with them I got on board their ship and I'm their only prisoner but then I like bribed them into bringing me back to England and I have these letters for you then these letters for the king take these guys to the king and then like they'll the sailors will lead you back to my hiding place so it's it's wacky it's deus ex pirates. It is deus I mean, ex it's deus ex pirates. It's Shakespeare being like, oh, motherfucker, I got to get this guy back somehow. And I don't really want to show the pirates. <laughs> so. But Good also, thing there's, but also yeah. I do, I do want to say that he does, Shakespeare does give us the sailors. And like, I don't mm-hmm. think that it's worth keeping them if you're trying to do this play for an audience. But I do think that the scene with the context of like brutish sailors in Mm -hmm. a court setting what has been a court setting is this like really weird intimidating like what do they hear about they have a letter and like there's there's a there's a lot of suspense in the scene that then is like weirdly built upon with all of these secrets after secrets after secrets and the so just to, to be really clear with our brains the plot that Hamlet has given you to understand. What happened was he is on a boat with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern on the way to England. They are attacked by pirates. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are still en route to England. Hamlet is Hamlet is with the pirates on his way back. He's right. He's with the pirates, right, Isabel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A thousand percent. One thousand percent with, with the, pirates. the pirates. Is the cut text here? where we get that crazy line that I'm obsessed with, uh, something walking in my cabin, my sea gown scarfed about me. No, that's later. Is that later? Oh my God, I'm so, um, thank God we still get my sea gown scarfed about me. Okay, well then, if you don't mind Horatio, we can move on without too much further delving unless you're like, how am I meant to play this letter alone? Now I'm here alone. Um, in In a production, I would probably argue uh, very strenuously to have a bit more context about what happened because right now it's uh, ere we were two days old at sea a pirate a very warlike appointment gave us chase and then no more context about what that means where Hamlet currently is yeah um, but instead of talking about this scene I just want to like throw big ups to Shakespeare for because we talk about his poetry we talk about his characters we talk about his plots his invention of subtext and of, like humanity but on a on a very technical level Claudius and Laertes have just stepped aside 
so that Claudius can tell what happened. And then this letter scene happens and then we're right back to the same scene like yes. 30 seconds later. And I think yeah. that's fucking genius. I think that that is brilliant, brilliant storytelling. It totally is. It's like, it feels so contemporary television, doesn't it? Of sort of like cut away, cut back. Now we're just, it's like a continuous frame of Claudius pulling the into a separate room. But you think about a four and a half hour play and like yeah. even here, he is concerned with economy. Because yeah. he could just have like eight lines recapping that Hamlet killed, like, and you could do that. But instead he's like, no, we're not going to rehash old information because the momentum is, is more important. Yes, yes. Okay, um, I have questions about timeline, but I might save them for after this. So let's cut back to Claudius and Laertes. And I am probably gonna let this whole scene flow without interruption and then we'll dissect a little bit at the end, okay? Let us kick it in for seven. Now must your conscience my quit and seal. And you must put me in your heart for friends if you have heard and with a knowing ear that he which hath your noble father slain pursued my life. And so have I a noble father lost. A sister driven into desperate terms whose worth, if praises may go back again, stood challenger on mount of all the age for her perfections. But my revenge will come. Break not your sleeps for that. You must not think that we are made of stuff so flat and dull that we can let our beard be shook with danger and think it past time. You shortly shall hear more. I loved your father. And we love ourselves, And that, I hope, will teach you to imagine. How now? What news? Letters, my lord, from Hamlet. From Hamlet? Who brought them? Sailors, my lord, they say. I saw them not. Laertes, you shall hear them. Leave us. High and mighty, you shall know. I am set naked on your kingdom. Tomorrow shall I beg leave to see your kingly eyes when I shall, first asking your pardon thereunto, recount the occasion of my sudden and more strange return, Hamlet. What should this mean? Know you the hand. Tis Hamlet's character, naked, and in a postscript he says, alone. Um, can you advise me? I'm lost in it, my lord, but let him come. It warms the very sickness in my heart that I shall live and tell him to his teeth. Thus didst thou. If it be so, Laertes, will you be ruled by me? Aye, my lord. So you will not o'errule me to a peace? To thine own peace. I will work him to an exploit now ripe in my device, under the which he, cannot, he shall not choose but fall. And for his death, no wind of blame shall breathe, but even his mother shall uncharge the practice and call it accident. My lord, I will be ruled. The rather, if you could devise it so that I might be the organ. Ah, falls right. You have been talked of since your travel much, and that in Hamlet's hearing, for quality wherein they say you shine. What out of this, my lord? Laertes, was your father dear to you? Or are you like the painting of a sorrow? A face without a heart. Why ask you this? Not that I think you did not love your father, but that I know love is begun by time. And that I see in passages of proof, time qualifies the spark and fire of it. 
there lives within the very flame of love a kind of wick, a snuff, that will abate it. And nothing is at a like goodness still, for goodness, growing to a pleurisy, dies in his own too much, that we would do what we, that we would do, we should do when we would, for this wood changes and hath abatements and delays as many as there are tongues and hands as accidents. And then this should is like a spendthrift sigh that hurts by easing. But to the quick of the ulcer, Hamlet comes back. What would you undertake to show yourself indeed your father's son more than in words? To cut his throat at the church. Oh, no, no place indeed should murder sanctuarize. Revenge should have no bounds, but good Laertes, will you do this? Keep close within your chamber. Hamlet returned shall know you are come home. We'll bring you in fine to get wager on your heads. He being remiss, most generous and free from all contriving, will not peruse the foils so that with ease or with a little shuffling, you may choose a sword unbated and in a pass of practice, requite him for your father. I will do it. And for that purpose, I'll anoint my sword. I bought an unction of a mountebank, so mortal that but dip a knife in it. Where it draws blood, no cataplasm so rare can save the thing from death that is but scratched withal. I'll touch my point with this contagion, that if I gall him slightly, it may be death. Let's further think of this. Soft, let me see. We'll make a solemn wager on your cunnings. I have. Um, when in your motion you are hot and dry, as make your bouts more violent to that end, and that he calls for drink, I'll have prepared him a chalice for the nuns, whereon but sipping, if he by chance escaped your venom stuck, our purpose may hold there. But stay, what noise? One woe doth tread upon another's heel, so fast they follow. Your sister's drowned, Laertes. Drowned? Oh, where? There is a willow, grows askant the brook that shows his hoar leaves in the glassy stream. Therewith, fantastic garlands did she make of crow flowers, nettles, daisies, and long purples that liberal shepherds give a grosser name, but our cold maids do dead men's fingers call them. There on the pendant boughs her coronet weeds clambering to hang an envious sliver broke when down her weedy trophies and herself fell in the weeping brook her clothes spread wide and mermaid like a while they bore her up which time she chanted snatches of old laws as one incapable of her own distress or like a creature native and endued into that element but long it could not be, till that her garments, heavy with their drink, pulled the poor wretch from her melodious lay to muddy death. Alas, then she is drowned. 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 Too much of water has that oporophilia. And therefore I forbid my tears. 
but yet it is our trick. <laughs> Nature, her custom holds. Let shame say what it will. Adieu, my lord. I have a speech of fire that fain would blaze, but that this folly drowns it. Let's follow, Gertrude. How much I had to do to calm his rage. Now fear I this will give it start again. Therefore, let's follow. Okay. I live for moments like making an actor as good as Olivia say something like, I bought an unction of a mountebank. <laughs> you know how in the end of Shakespeare plays, people are always like, how are we going to think our way out of this? What if someone had a death potion like in their sleeve at that exact moment? It's just like, it so reminds me of act, of act, of act I guess might be the end of four of Romeo and Juliet, where Romeo is like, on his way and is like, I remember an apothecary. Oh, this is his house. <laughs> it's just like fucking unbelievable. I'm just, I'm just sad that we don't have Lamond, the great, the great braggadocious Norman in this cut, who yes. talks about how good a fence for Laertes is. Oh yes. I mean, yeah, I so I know, I know. Some things have to die. Um, but, and you know, Laertes is, his, his fencing speaks for itself. So there's lots of stuff going on here. What a weird day for Claudius. A lot of ups and downs. We're on the up now, aren't we, baby? There's something going, (laughs) (laughs) there's something going on here where, um, sorry, that was for you, Patrick. It just came right out of my soul. It's that unction from a mountebank I'm after, (laughs) baby. But, um, oh, sorry, it's the end of the night. What struck me about it, sorry, what struck me about it was the fact that you had a huge problem um, a second ago. And now what's happening is that, like, no sooner do you find out via this weird letter that Hamlet is back and is on his way back, but then you get to put two and two together of like, huh, that guy I try to kill, like I tried to kill is coming back and standing in the room with me is someone who wants to kill him, you know? And I mean, the way that you got into the, gl- the weird glee of improvising the plan, I thought was sort of weirdly great. Yeah, I think, I think there's something, I think there's something Claudius really likes about using poison. Like seriously, when Laird is like, I bought an unction off a mountebank, it's like, you did not. Do you know that mountebank unctions are my favorite? Oh my God, I love unctions. <laughs> um, yeah, there's something about that. I've also, I've also just been like this, this, last, this last couple of acts have, have been sort of putting me in the head of Claudius. It's just like weird. Uh, also the fact that like everyone, the only words people use to describe him the most are like incestuous, adulterate. And I'm just like, oh, <sighs> he just, he's just thinking about sex all the time. He's just thinking about like weird back alley like, <laughs> and buying unctions off mountebanks just like it's never too late in the day for that choice <laughs> yeah yeah i really wish i hadn't said back alley just no back. no we're all there now viscerally and i think that's right i mean it's just it just struck me how like this this two days has taken so many turns for you how quickly the play slides for claudius who we don't get very much access to his interiority all we've had is oh my offense is rank and do it england the moment after we get rid of hamlet a little bit earlier in this act of like okay he's a 
what was it, uh, an antic in your blood and you need curing. And then it struck me again that in this scene, in this scene, you also say, um, oh my God, that line about what part of the ulcer, there's the, the ulcer line is in this scene, isn't it? Or is it in the one before? I think it's in no, this it's scene. In this Let one. me find to the, it. Yeah. To the quick of the ulcer. Ugh, <laughs> to the, quick. Ugh. To the quick of the ulcer. Let's talk about how you can kill Hamlet. It just struck me that we're back there again with this thing of like, to the thing that is destroying my body and keeping me up at night. Yeah. He's I very... The, I, this, this the, yeah, the speech that he has in the middle of this about goodness and would and should i i, I think yeah. i need to parse that a little bit more before i read it again okay because I, I, I i was ready for it. i was i remember reading and then i crept up and i was like oh shit i thought i got to talk about lamond first nope no fun here only work no fun only only woods and shoulds so mm-hmm. there's some fun i mean hamlet is coming naked, naked. and alone can you advise me Hashtag naked it alone. Can you advise me? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, for, yeah, when I, when I read this out and put a, a long pause with an um in there before, can you advise me? Emma, Emma included in the chat, how dare you? And I just thought it, it, it seemed like the kind of thing of like a, a project manager just being like, so let's brainstorm this for a second. Uh huh. Yeah. I so could, uh, naked use, alone. I could use your input here. Yeah, and it it does seem yeah, and 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 Isabel very rightly pointed out in the chat that um, uh, Claudius definitely needs Laertes on his side mm-hmm. for for safety and also for political reasons. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, so I, I think just being able to delight in the villainy a bit and like ooh, in like the elegance of the plan. And the getting yourself out of it. A line that really hit my ear was, you know, we loved, I loved your father. You know, we loved your father and we love ourself. Yeah. And in that royal we and we love ourself singular, I was like, oh, there's always one line where one of the one of those power dudes is like, that's right. I feel like I'm about getting mine, bitch. (laughs) I fucking love being king and I do not want to get stabbed today. So, like, yeah, no, go ahead. On that, like, I just wanted to jump in and agree and say the the villainy, Patrick, please disagree with me. Like, oh, please. Like, it feels very strong in the scene also for you to be like, is your dad really dear to you? I mean, I'm not saying- Yeah, that's not manipulative shit at all. It's so just like- That ruined me. Yeah, yeah. Like, excuse, were you not in that last scene with me? What? It made me think about all the language about seeming in the play as regards Hamlet. The fact that it's so crazy for after the scene that you were just in and the crying you did for Claudius to look at you and go, do you just seem to be sad about your dad or are you really sad about your dad? Are you going to do something about it? Yeah, especially, especially after I gave Hamlet so much shit about it at the beginning of the play. Yeah. Was it, but are you like the painting of a sorrow, a face without a heart? And so here's what's interesting about it. Laertes is like, I mean, you, you finish his lines two in a row here on the ends of those speeches. And that really struck me of like a face without a heart. Why the fuck? Like the fact that you smack him back with, where are you going with this? And then he has the would should speech and then 
the fact that you meet him at the end of that line with no pause more than in words to cut his throat in the church. And I mean, I'm sorry, we have to just pause here for Shakespeare for a second of the fact that the specificity of the language of Claudius saying, what would you undertake to show yourself indeed your father's son more than in words to say words? This is the play Hamlet. You know what I mean? And then for you to say to cut his throat in the church, a thing that Hamlet earlier in this play explicitly neglected to do. Yep. That's crazy. That's so good. I mean, it's wild. It's like, he's a good writer or something. It's crazy. Uh, the Shakespeare guy is crazy. Um, this Shakespeare guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. I, I know we have so much more to discuss even with the, with the news that comes in, but mm-hmm. it's also funny to think about like, I would like to reject interpretations of Laertes as being dumb. I don't think he's the smartest Hamlet, but it, like, because he's not, but like playing him like he's wholly dumb and unawares. No. Especially with the heavy, deeply offensive emotional manipulation that you start to pull in the scene. So like, it's a horrible, I mean, this feels like the snowball effect with Hamlet that we've been discussing, but like, it's a horrible thing to kind of, when we just did it, as Laertes to feel yourself being used, but but be like, let's let's fucking, let's fucking do it. And like the scene also felt funny to do with you, Patrick, in a good way, because it also felt me standing here being like, this is everything that I was worried about with this family. Like this, this is so showing how different Mm. we all really are. But the horrible tragedy of it for Laertes is like, yeah, use me. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking do it. Like, I think that is the best choice. I think that's the best choice because it enables us to not have to sit here having a conversation about how, if Claudius has to get you on his side, how he can get away with alienating you so intensely and you still going along with the plan. That's a less interesting conversation than what Laertes is willing to sit through in order to do what he has to do. It's a, and, it's, and his it's language a very- is dark twisted yeah. version of like mm-hmm. George Bailey meeting with Mr. Potter and it's a wonderful <laughs> life. Kind yeah, of, yeah. It's yeah, a deal with the devil moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And his it is his language is so much more action oriented than Claudius's is. Claudius's mm-hmm. would, should, let's think. I mean like hey, like let's really define the the mm-hmm. semantics that we're using. Mm-hmm. And Laertes is like what I will do is literally cut his throat on the church. Like And then we get into the plan. And now it's fully what I appreciated about Patrick's sort of glee was the word I used, but the quality of the improvisation. Yeah, well, the quality of the improvisation is that now we're in full collaboration, which is, okay. well, let's set up some fencing. And then Laertes is like, I have a poison. It's really strong. I bought it on the way here. And then Claudius is like, "Okay, I see your poison and I raise you. Like, you know, like literally it's like, I see your anointed sword and I raise you poison also in a cup. Do you like? And then Laertes is like, I do like. And then Gertrude, you know, or I mean, he doesn't even really have. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're into it. They're into it. They're into it. And then here comes the news, which we do have to touch before we stop and read this sucker. We have to talk about the news. Uh, right on in here, Ariana. This is like such a ridiculous speech because (laughs) this has been a character that has barely, like I said before, has barely summoned an image in anything that she said so far. Like I do my little imagery tracking and she has not 
like she has the cleft my heart in twain and then her image this is gonna sound really weird her imagery is sort of more like idea oriented like if words be made of breath and breath of life like there's sort of like something like much more idea and then we just get this that is just like this narrative speech with these gorgeous language and it's like to me it just begs the question what the fuck are you covering this is not the way you talk like she didn't want to ruin her dress (laughs) explicitly explained in in episode five of slings and arrows yeah oh my god yes and she says drowned like the word drowned is used almost as often as chastity is used around ophelia so like Mm -hmm. sort of the same overuse of a word that's not the truth probably this the thing that really that that so pulled the poor wretch from her melodious lay to muddy death alas then she is drowned shared line drowned 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 alone I mean, the fact, the fact that the response is just drowned, drowned, hit my ear so hard reading yeah. it. Well, I think yeah. that to muddy death, alas, then she is drowned is a shared yeah. line. And yeah. then drowned, drowned, it's is like its own. one foot. I think it's missing full. Like, I think yeah. drowned is like a one syllable word. That's great. Um, That's great. Yeah. The fact that it doesn't, sc- the fact that it's so clunky sounding and doesn't scan in any, like it doesn't, the fact that it doesn't stress, right? Yeah. And it just hits the ground like a stone, two in a row, drowned, drowned. Yeah. It's just, it seems to me that this is for Laertes. This is to shield Laertes from whatever truly horrific unbeautiful thing happened to Ophelia you know I just the the language the the picture she paints is so kind of to borrow from another Shakespeare play she is painting the lily here and gilding refined gold you know she's just it's like yeah she's painting it on real thick and it's like what the fuck are you covering what happened to her yeah you know can I ask a question to like fellow characters Gertrude and Claudius? Do you guys feel like I'm genuinely asking? It is it's helpful to your cause for Laertes to hear that she's dead. Like I'm trying to like make sense of it all as well. Like whatever may be real. Mm, I get the sense. Uh, I, I, that's a really it's a really good question, Olivia. I. I well, first, first, or after this, I want to ask Isabel about the USF uh, production that she hid in, in the in the chat that I wanted to bring up, where Claudius drowns Ophelia. But uh, the speech at the end, where Claudius says, um, I, "I worked so hard to calm him down, and now I and 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 look at what you did," kind of indicates to me that like this wasn't exactly part of the plan to to win Laertes over. But I would love to hear how this production where like Claudius drowns Ophelia, how that played out in the scene. Sure. Here's a here's a brief tangent. So in um summer of 2019 at the Utah Shakespeare Festival in a production directed by Brian Vaughn that I had the privilege to dramaturg. Um 
it, it was a really Ophelia forward production. Um, that was the whole, that, that was our base, kind of like our concept. Um, and so we took the idea of the mad scene and Ophelia knows too much. And so then in the next scene, we, we kind of inserted a dumb show in which Ophelia wandered back on stage with, she was dragging around the bloody heiress that her father had been stabbed through. Like that was kind of like her mad scene thing. So she was dragging that around with her. And then uh, we had a trap in the stage that, that had, we'd seen a couple times earlier in, in, in the play. And then in this scene, it gets opened and Ophelia gets drowned on stage in the, in the trap. And so then Gertrude, Gertrude sees it. Uh, and, we, and we get the sense at this point that Gertrude, um, sh sh she's trying to preserve her own life in whatever way that she can. You know, this is all in this production. Um, and, and so she makes up this lie as Claudius kind of strong arms her actively in the scene. Like she, she comes in and she says, oh, your sister's drowned in kind of like a very stilted way. Um, and then she, 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 fabricates this lie on the spot um and uh and it's it was really tense <laughs> let me say it was really tense on stage um and and our idea is that it really was for Laertes and so I think this question that Olivia asked about like is this like is it important that Laertes hears this speech um I think even if you're not doing the kind of like metatextual the like extra textual thing that we were doing in Utah I think it's really important because then he has nothing else to live for because he said he'll do anything for his family and now they're all dead so he that makes him a great warrior for Claudius I I was that's incredible it was, <laughs> it was good uh, I also just to sort of go back to your question, Olivia, I don't think that Gertrude is operating with Claudius at this point in the play. I just get the sense that it's a very maternal thing what she's coming in and doing, right? And maybe like by cushioning the death of a beloved family member in such a kind of beautiful and gentle way, she's doing what she couldn't do for her own son, which is to like just cushion the blow a little bit even though it's a, a horrible there is such beauty in the description I don't know that that just seemed I just I don't know why but just like reading this character I'm just like she's such a mom like she's just such a mom um, I love I love that Ariana I feel like that's a really emotional answer because to give a uh, to make it better for the young person that is left to you is I think a really nice, a nice gift for that. And I also just want to highlight the fact that, again, there are only two women in this play and it's so interesting and purposeful that the way that the death of the one gets treated is through the mouth of the other one. And the fact that like anyone could have come in with this language, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. could have been Horatio's language since he was just apparently hanging out with her. You know what I mean? Like, but the fact that it is the only other woman and now the only one left alive who comes back in and is all alone and is like, okay, well, I'm going to give him this gift, but also to me, it gives a tie of like, of giving her a gift kind of as well of like, well, I'm going to make this also, I mean, even if this isn't what happened, whatever did happen, you saw it, you know, or like, I mean, the fact, the fact that you are her witness and you are her 
storyteller after the fact is significant to me of like, okay, well then if this is going to be the eulogy, if this is the party line, like, you know, if there has to be a cover, we're going to make it the fact that it's the last woman left alive who makes it beautiful feels significant to me of like, we can beautify that for her at least. And there is a kind of, how do you explain painful things? You tell stories, right? And this is like her story that she's telling this very damaged young man, which I think is, I get the sense is completely fueled by guilt on Gertrude's part for not taking care of Hamlet and not taking care of Ophelia as well, that she didn't look out for them enough. She was a bad mom. And there's like nothing sort of, I think, I'm not a parent, but I'm taking care of a lot of kids. And I think there's like nothing more damning than being a bad parent and neglecting your children. There's like, there's like no worse crime (laughs) is my personal opinion. (laughs) I totally, I totally feel you. You just made me think of something, which is that a really smart dramaturg uh, that I heard speak, you know, once said uh, a thing that I've never forgotten, which is that in a good play, everyone is right. And what you just made me think of is uh, <laughs> one of the tragedy things about Hamlet is that everybody thinks it's their fault. And so like in a real tragedy, everybody thinks it's their fault. Mm. And maybe that's something to go home with. 